Welcome everybody to episode 15 of the Quarcast as we are now getting into the middle of the month of July as I'm Owen Newkirk and he's Sean Shapiro. This will be, I think, our last episode in two time zones for a while, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Next week is up in the air because it's time to travel back to Texas because we're getting ready for some hockey. So, Sean, we have a lot to get to today. In our second segment, we'll speak specifically about STARS training camp, which is anticipated to start July 13th, which is only a few days away, as it is July 10th here as we are recording this. And then in our third segment, we're going to go deeper into the collective bargaining agreement extension that was agreed to. We're waiting to hear the official word. I believe we haven't heard the ratification of the Players Association, the main body. It's been approved by the executive committee, and it's also been approved by the Board of Governors, correct? Correct. Okay, so we're just waiting on the players to vote, and that takes a couple well, so, of days. They're uh, supposed to announce it. Well, today, Board of Governors. No, sorry, Board of, Go- Board of Governors is the last step. Sorry, oh, so the players wait until after yeah. the players. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But the ex- yeah. expectation is they'll do that. So we'll talk about the labor piece that seems to be gripping the NHL in mm-hmm. our third segment. Uh, right now, it's it's the other part of it. It's the return to play uh, format has been approved and agreed upon between the players and the ownership, and. That has led to a situation, Sean, where and we'll talk about some of the details of return to play here, but some really bizarre or, as you called it, weird stuff that could yeah. and may happen this summer because of hockey in the summer, the pandemic, and all that implies. Yeah. Yeah, we, I think we got a fun episode. We actually planned a little bit this we week. We plan every time. <clears throat> I know, but I think we did. A, I think we did a better job of. Uh, I thought last actually, week's episode was pretty funny when we got the misspeaks that yeah. led to us almost falling off the rails. So that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the let's well, let's kind of go through some of the things you came up with because you were having a bit of a brainstorming session of what's weird about this summer. Yeah. And the first thing you came up with that I thought was pretty funny, and there's some you didn't tell me, so I can't wait to hear them. But yeah. A day with the Stanley Cup. The team that wins this year's edition, the 2020 Stanley Cup champions, we found out, and maybe we're jumping into the CBA section, uh, that, you know, the season can start, they're planning on December 1st. Now, we'll talk a lot more about that in the third season. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what that does is, what? Not really enough time to have your day with the Cup because the offseason is going to be so short, right? How How are they going to whirlwind cup time with the winning the championship members of the team yeah i mean you've got so like say the cup is awarded on october 2nd which i believe is the last date that they have kind of penciled in right now for the last date it could be awarded um say the cup is awarded october 2nd and december 1st the season's starting and so you're talking training camp then like november 16th 15th 14th so you're talking about 90 days to uh, not even 90, sorry, not even 90 days. You're talking about uh, 45 days between training camp and the end of the Stanley Cup Finals. And, and every, in a typical summer, we know the Stanley Cup gets a day with every person, typically from the, org- not every person from the organization, but everyone on the hockey operations side, right? Every single person gets, um, it's a tradition that's been part of the NHL since 1995 when New Jersey was the first team to have every single person get a day with the Cup. And, in a typical summer, 
it would spend people forget how how long that list gets quickly because it's not we're not just talking about the 20 we're not just talking about the 30 or so players we're talking about every single coach we're talking about every single member of management all of the equipment staff all of the uh, all of the trainers all of all of the uh, like the cup was in Dallas in 2000 uh, not last summer, but the, the cup was in Dallas in 2018 for a day because the uh, the Washington Capitals masseuse lives in Dallas in the off season, and so uh, the cup was in Dallas for a day. And uh, so you're talking about all of that, and you're not going to have the time to get all of that for the cup to travel because it's it's not just it can go day 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 bang 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 right across the board because Radic Fox just say Dallas was to win hypothetically just because I'm picking. Say say a team like Dallas was to win, I'm sure Anton Hudobin wants it in Siberia for a day. That's where he lives. Shouldn't, shouldn't the Stanley Cup go to Siberia for that? Yes, yeah. I mean you have. We all you, want to. So see, you have this. I mean, don't we? I mean, maybe I'm diving into this too much too fast because we're getting ahead of ourselves. But don't we want to see what Anton Hudobin does with the Stanley Cup for a day? I mean. Yes. He's one of the most interesting people that we've ever come across. He's fascinating, funny, goofy. I want to see him do, live it up with the cup because you know it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and you have, you take kind of, <laughs> so we take this, this schedule and it's like, okay, well, all of a sudden you may have someone's day with the cup is to, to get it done. It's like, well, uh, you know what? Hey, we're going to have an off day in December. <laughs> So here, go 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 go! Take it to your hotel room. <laughs> yeah, and go go play. Uh, whoop it up for so, the cup day. But hey, you got a game tomorrow, so don't go crazy. So ridiculous idea, and it wouldn't happen. But who knows? We're all in weird. I said, what if we go with a Stanley day with the Stanley Cup rollover plan? Like, remember old rollover minutes or felt cell phone plans? <laughs> like, kind of day with the so that the Stanley Cup 2020 champions will therefore get rollover minutes to make up for the days over the next 10 years or whatever. And so, like, the uh, whoever wins the 2020 Stanley Cup, they'll be it'll be it'll be a part of okay. Well, hey, as FYI, 2022 Stanley Cup champions, you got to give it to t- this team X for the last five days of July, so they can give it. They can, they can send it around, and then then to make up for it. Now, is it is it dumb and stupid? A hundred percent. But you could do it. You, you could do it. Like, I mean, it's not the weirdest thing I've heard. Mm-hmm. By the way, a raven is flying over right now. It's fun. Cool. It's, I'm on my uh, parents' back screen porch because when you live near any part of Maine, now we're relatively close to the ocean. We're not, it's not oceanfront property, but, you know, about a mile away. But there's still a lot of mosquitoes, black flies, deer flies that buzz your head and circle over and over again, and then those really giant horse flies. Anyway, uh, the screen porch, any place where you get a lot of bugs is phenomenal. So don't mind the avians uh, noise in the background if you do hear it, but that was kind of cool. Yesterday, took the uh, kids to this one place nearby that has a really cool beach only when it's low tide because the the, the ocean recedes and you get all this sand that's otherwise covered by the, the water, and there's an eagle's nest out there. Speaking of bringing it back to last week and the eagles... Um, mm-hmm. but there was, there's, we were able to see the couple eagles flying around, getting chased by seagulls, landing on their nest. So little bird story for you, digression, uh, little bird watching, getting back into bird weird stuff. You told me this yesterday. I I've been 
trying to keep as abreast of everything as I normally do, but obviously when you're out of town and trying to enjoy being with your family for a little bit, you don't do quite as much. And you had to inform me because I hadn't seen that they had decided on statistics, and they have now. Yes. That the qualifying round and the round-robin games. So basically the play-in and seeding games before the first round of the return-to-play format will officially count as playoff stats. They weren't sure whether they were going to count them or not because the regular season is over. You can't make them regular season stats. And I think, Sean, that... Maybe I'm getting to the serious side of it. The league didn't want to have sanctioned games where the stats didn't actually matter or count. So I understand well, the other, why they did that, but it's going to lead to some very bizarre situations. I think one of the other things we need to understand kind of why they did this too. This leads to, this is a, this is a pro team move. And I'm not sure what the inner workings and negotiating her, but this is a, if you're looking at, like all of these things are happening, we can probably look at, oh, that's the decision the owners fought for, or that's the decision that the players yes. fought for, right? So, by having these games count as playoff games statistically, you have players on a, on a line that are, um, if these were regular season stats, for example, you have some veteran players like Andre Sekera, who is three <laughs> games away from hitting a performance bonus. If this is a playoff game, his performance bonus is only based off regular season games, not playoff games. On top of that, you have some other younger players um, who you have some other younger players. I believe Minnesota has a couple who are teetering on the edge of being a group one or a group two UFA. It's, it's one of the different levels of UFA and RFA where they're so close to that line where if they played all five games of a play-in series... They, their, their, your UFA slash RFA status would change. So this was a very, in, in such a minuscule thing, but it was a team. This is a team friendly move for the financials of it, because um, also if, if if a player goes off for, well, in, well, technically players can argue. Players do get paid for their playoff performance, but it's not like if someone goes off. If Austin Matthews scores four goals or scores four goals or five goals or, or in a game in, in, in the play and in the qualification round. Uh, those are the type of things where you could try and be like, oh, hey, look, these are I actually scored 55 goals this season or whatever, whatever the number would be. Um, so this is a pro team thing as far as the financial of it and, 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 and the fallout of it. The thing that's pro player that will be funny, just that we, that we were kind of talking about, and just the one that I think is – assuming there's not like a Pittsburgh Penguins using three different goalies type situation, whichever team wins the Stanley Cup this year, I think the winning goalie is going to set the NHL playoff record for wins in a postseason. It seems conceivable because they're going to have an extra round. They're going to have an extra round. And so, like, obviously right now the record for wins in a postseason by an NHL playoff goalie is 16. That's the most you can win. a lot of Uh, goalies have probably done that because they, you know, typically ride one starting goalie through the playoffs. But now you'll have, if say if a team from from one of the qualification rounds wins the Stanley Cup, they say they'll have to win three games. That team will have to win 19 games. It's not, it's not far-fetched to think it will be the same goalie winning all 19 of those games. Yeah, and and the only, I don't think, Sean, I don't think we're going to see, unless it's for the team that could win the, the top seed, 
I, I find it hard to believe that any of the teams in the round robin will play their starting goalie or number one all three games. Even if they have a chance to win, I think they'll split because it just doesn't make sense to not have both playing in meaningful games. But, like I said, I could see a circumstance where, let's say, we'll use Dallas as the example. Dallas will probably start Ben Bishop in the first uh, round robin game. If they win mm-hmm. that, I still yeah. think you go to Hudobin for game two, but... I could see them saying, well, we're going to play Bishop number two and see where we go, and they win that. Okay, now you have a chance, if you win your next game, to clinch number one. They might say, the playoffs, we're going to go with Ben Bishop all the way, and that leads to that. But I think you're right. I think that the best chance for a new wins record for a goalie in the playoffs probably comes – I mean, we could see 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could even see but- 18. But I think we what could. we'll really see is, is, is if a t- player comes out of the qualifying round because they have to win at least three. Or they have to win yeah, three. Yeah, and I think and because I, and I th- that gives you a little bit of that leeway of, like, you could have a goalie. You could have, um, say, the Pittsburgh Penguins, say Matt Murray. Um, uh, say Matt Murray wins 18 games because one game, the one game, it's crazy start. It's right. 3-3 after the end of the first period, and they put Tristan Jerry in the game, and Tristan Jerry gets the win. Like And so, like, you could have... There's there's more leeway for the uh, for a, for a team with that because they've got 19 wins to work with right. that'll be divvied out. Uh, so it, it, there's that. I mean the other thing too, and I don't think like a lot of the the the, the scoring records. I, I think we're not in an era where those will be touched. That's there's what just I think too. there's yeah. I, I think that's not going to happen. So I think, but I think the goaltending one is going to be. There's definitely some some oddities in there where we're going to look bad. That's going to live in the record book forever on this. Uh, the other the other thing that's just going to be kind of odd with how these statistics work and, and things like that, um, you're going to have how are, it's going to be the first time we're going to have a shootout playoff stat. <laughs> we are going to have or <laughs> we yeah, are going. I mean, technically, if games are tied, they will end in a shootout because they're not going to in do the round robin. Yeah, right. They're not going to do endless overtime for round robin games, which, yeah. by the way, is smart. Um, I I guess I mean it's not going to be very extensive, right? You know, shootout stats have built up over the last 10, 15 years since they introduced them coming out of the 05 or the 0405 lockout. So that's. Yeah. You know, there's quite a bit of those now, and yet here we go. We've never seen one. I, look, I, the good thing is, is that it's it's relatively inconsequential, right? And it's good because I don't want shootouts in my hockey. And we'll talk about the Olympics in our third segment a little bit. Yeah. But I don't like seeing a shootout decide a really important game. Yeah. The other thing that all of this, because we were talking about weird things and just kind of how all of this is going to go, is. I think we're gonna, you're gonna have way more of the, a kind of across the board. You're gonna have a lot of guys who we're gonna look back. Like we, I was looking. So earlier this week, I did a story uh, with Scott Crookshank from Calgary on Jerome McGinley and what could have happened if he Dallas hadn't made the trade and, and why, what actually happened on the trade, on kind of in that trade conversation. But one of the things that I remember looking back at was I was going through Aginla's. Uh, uh, career stats and Aginla's NHL debut came in the playoffs. He played his first NHL game in the playoffs and everything like that, just like uh, Kale McCarr did to uh, last year and stuff. Just guys like that who make their debut in the playoffs, and that's and that's a real playoff debut. We're gonna have a bunch of guys who 
I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a bunch of rookies or players who get into a playoff game that is a round-robin game, and we look back a couple years and be like, so if, if we look back and just hypothetically situation, just as the stars, Thomas Harley, I don't think Thomas Harley will play in the actual playoffs just because right. I, I don't think they're going to trust a, uh, a defenseman of that age. But if Dallas goes, uh, if Dallas goes 2-0 and they've already won the head to, like if, if Dallas goes into game three with really nothing to play for as far as seeding, or or goes into game three where it's pretty much locked up as far as seating. I mean, you could, could go see, you know, two or one and one, uh, yeah. and and it finds out that the that even if they were to go two and one, they're you know the, there's two other teams that are two and zero. Oh. It's not going to happen exactly. So so you could have you could have because of how seating goes in game three, you could have a Dallas could play a Thomas Harley in in game three of the round robin, and it could be one of those weird things in Thomas Harley's career where we could look and be like, oh, he played one NHL game, one NHL playoff game in two thousand twenty. It actually like, wasn't one that matches to a yeah, playoff series. Yeah, like right. there's just all this this odd little weird stuff. Like I mean, we also we we what have the just the other thing? thing too. Oh yeah, the hotel thing's good. <laughs> like <laughs> the uh, the other thing that's great. So the hotels came out, and for one. Um, First, I want to focus on the Toronto hotels. One of the hotels is Hotel X in Toronto. I was certain that was a placeholder hotel name, like the first retrospect. I didn't know that was a real name for a hotel, right? Hotel X. It sounds like, well, this team is going to win the overall draft, you know, lottery number one pick. Yeah. We'll find out in six weeks. No, no, it's yeah. actually the name of a hotel. <laughs> like, I, I thought it was going to be like, we're, it, it seemed to be it'd be such an NHL thing to be, you know what, hey, you're going to get to Toronto, your plane's going to land, and then there's going to be a there's gonna be a giant wheel, and then we're going to spin the wheel to see what hotel you go to. That would actually be really funny, wouldn't it? Come, yeah. It'd be like, come on, come on, Marriott, come on, Marriott. Oh, I got Hotel X. I don't even know. I'm sure Hotel X is wonderful, by the way. It looks nice. I mean, I, I looked at their I mean, on, the on their NHL Twitter feed. They they have expectations that they need to be yeah. of a certain I mean, level. Hotel Hotel X on their Twitter feed. I saw they do hot yoga in the, like, these balls. Like they have this dome hot yoga setup where nice. every person can every person can have their own dome, so you can do yoga in a yoga class. So what are they like? Without they're having like, to, they're like bubble bubble yoga. They're like half a bubble. Yeah, yeah. it's like. <laughs> I'm I'm now I'm now gesturing with my hands so no one can see. Works perfectly <laughs> on our, our core cast, doesn't it? <laughs> but the other the, the funny probably the, the the funny hotel story is the Tom Gillardi's hotel, which is good for the stars. The Sutton Place is getting used as one of the hotels in Edmonton. That is good for the stars because Tom Gillardi's business doing better overall is good for the the stars overall. The Dallas Stars are not staying at the Sutton Place. The Dallas Stars are staying at the JW Marriott, and the uh, essentially the top uh, the top six teams are staying at the JW. The bottom six teams are staying at the Sutton Place, and so there's a bit of a higher power ranking there of uh, of this is the uh, this is the uh, the JW is where we're going to put the teams that we think have the have the better odds, and the uh, you're rewarded by being better a better team by getting to stay at the JW than going to the Sutton Place. I would I haven't seen this, so maybe you have, but I would presume that they would not consolidate to one hotel after say the first or second round when they have fewer needs for hotel rooms. Uh, I would imagine they would keep teams in place because it's just easier than moving them around. Plus. Uh, you saw the news about families could join teams in the conference finals. Yeah. 
uh, I would imagine that the open spaces that teams vacate would probably be used for families. Yeah, and I would ima I imagine there wouldn't be consolidation. I would imagine there would just be a slight adjustment of, because once we get to the conference finals, remember we're going to have the conference finals in Edmonton too. Right. So we're going to have, so in Edmonton, we're, I, I would imagine you'll have the four teams left in the West, wh whichever hotel they are, and then you just figure out. So if, if all four hotel teams, if all four teams from the JW are left in the conference finals, then they will just stay at the JW, and the four Eastern Conference teams will go to the Sutton place. That's, I can't that's, imagine that's, that's, that's going to work out that way, though. No, but but right. but that's kind of just how things would. That's how how it will. I imagine if if it's three and one, okay, well we'll throw three new teams in the Sutton place and one in the Marriott. Like that's just how I imagine this will shake out. Um, so the other, the other th go ahead. The other thing, just kind of moving forward with this whole timeline, that's funny. We talk about this this playoff and everything. That's just kind of. Weird is now we have a date for the draft, right? Yes. We, we have a draft, and it's weird. Obviously, we don't know who has the first overall pick. <laughs> we have we we have this date for the draft, and while we don't know what the plan is for junior hockey to start in the fall, we do have a possibility that you could have players play. If now this is a big if because I'm not sure, I'm not certain. There's so much of this pandemic, or who knows? But there is a possibility. Where you could have players play, who play in the middle of their OHL or, or QMJHL season, where they could be two weeks into the season when the NHL draft is happening. That is weird, isn't it? Yeah. And it's weird. If, and it's, what I, would be I, really weird is if it starts changes changing perceptions of who should be drafted and where, because well, it, the boards are done. The, the boards are done, but they figured out, but. But they never had their playoffs. Like they, like I, a lot of players, a lot of players make their case in the playoffs, where it's like, hey, and I'm not talking about, and and this is how you move, Mike. This is how micro moves are made. This is how a guy moves up from maybe 25th to 21st on a board, or 21st to 19th. Like, like this is how a guy moves up that way, or a guy gets onto the draft board. Like you could have a guy who goes off in the playoffs who was nothing for the regular season, and you're like. Oh well, you know what? Let's 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 use him. Let's 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 put him under our list of fifth round flyers. Like, like it's so it's going to be interesting to see, as you said, if that impact has it. Is there a, if a guy comes out and just if guy scores a hat trick? Has if, if if say you get five OHL games before the draft happens, just in this hypothetical world, guy scores a hat trick and has twelve goals in five games. They're like, oh, oh, well. Is it a hot streak or is uh? <laughs> hard, it'll be hard a, to tell. Um, yeah. One final thing in this segment before we get into Stars training camp is a former Dallas Stars connection. Yes. In Stars head coach Lindy Ruff, who took them, of course, through the uh, the first Jim Nill hire for four seasons, two times to the playoffs, once through the uh, game seven second round against the St. Louis Blues. Remind me or. You know, interrupt me if that sounds familiar. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's been a recent trend for the Stars. But so Lindy Ruff was the Stars head coach for four years, then uh, did not have his contract renewed after the 16 17 season. And that's when yep. the Stars brought in Ken Hitchcock on a one year deal uh, with consulting options, and that got a little convoluted. But Lindy then got a, took the assistant coach job with the New York Rangers under David Quinn. And he's been running the defense. Lindy was a defenseman when he played. And that he's been there for a couple years now, uh, three to be exact. And now he's going to be a head coach again and will 
be behind the bench for the New Jersey Devils for the 2020-21 season. And in doing so, it will be his 20th season as a head coach in the NHL. 15 years with the Buffalo Sabres, four with the Dallas Stars. Sean, that made me realize, uh, not that it wasn't something I could have figured out before, but Lindy Ruff is now 60 years old. So he's not the... You know, he's in the older age group, but he's not the oldest. Of course, we talked about uh, some of that last week with coaches being concerned about coronavirus in the bubble and that kind of thing. At the age of 60 to 65 or so, which is the older range of coaches that are in the league right now. But Lindy Ruff was my age when he started as a head coach, which is insane. I mean, he was 39, 40 years old, right? So, yeah. It's, well, he is. I mean, he, wow. He is. It, him, 30s. He and. Uh, He's the one. He's the one who I always forget. So like he's sixty now, right? Yes. And the other one, the one that is more miraculous to me is Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice has been coaching in the NHL since uh, has it was been the first time with the Hurricanes, wasn't it? In nineteen ninety six, and Paul Maurice is only fifty three. My God, what? Well, how old was he then? He might have been. So he would have been in ninety six. He would have been. Uh, like 28. <laughs> like he coached his thousandth NHL game at 43. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Like he, let's see, I'm pulling up a Wikipedia page. He be, Paul Maurice was named the coach of the Hartford Whalers at 28. Yeah, look at that. 28 years old, head head coach of the Whalers. I say Hurricanes because that was the same franchise, yeah. but they were Hartford back then. So well, I mean, like we're we're we're, we're looking crazy, at just this, right? this brings this brings up an interesting just conversation in general because like. Obviously, we talk about no one's ever going to – we always think no one's ever going to catch Scotty Bowman and everything like that. But, like, are we going to reach a point where – and originally I was thinking about talking about – I don't think Lindy has the years to do it. He's Lindy, Lindy Ruff has the six most wins in NHL history at 736. I think he's also at six most games coached, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's uh, he six might be. Um, anyway. But he is but, – but a guy like Paul – I mean, this is something that I've never really thought about. Are we at a point where – Paul Maurice, when he retires, will have the NHL record for wins because he's only, he's, he's just he's by 50, brute force. Like he's fifty three now. He's fifty three now with how if you, he's already, he's got really twenty likes him. They keep extending his contract. Yeah, and he's yeah. I mean, Quenville is at nine twenty five. I mean, he'll definitely get like you look at active coaches. Joel Quenville is at nine hundred twenty five career wins. Depending on how things go in Florida, he may get to a thousand in his career. I think he will um, probably. It might take him a yeah. couple of seasons, but yeah. Uh, Barry Trotz is we're looking at active coaches. Barry Trotz is at eight forty-five for career wins. He'll pass. He'll pass Hitch next year when he wins after he wins five more games for third all time. Um, Lindy is at six. It's Lindy's got seven thirty-six. I mean. It's Lind, Lind, Lindy has seven thirty six. Paul Maurice has seven thirty two. There's just like both right there. The right. top six seven all time in wins. Well, I think it's um, fair to say that Paul Maurice will yeah. probably be coaching longer down the road Correct. than Lindy will be. That's my I guess. believe so. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but yeah, no. But I. But what do you think about Lindy to the Devils in terms of his style? Um, I look. I loved the way the Stars played, and I hated it at the same time in his tenure. And it wasn't because of the style. It, it was, uh, he, I really liked the 15-16 Dallas Stars. As a fan watching, they were fast. They, you know, they were the mm-hmm. team that everybody said, hey, if the Stars are on TV and you're not a Dallas Stars fan, you need to find them on and watch them because they're 
always entertaining. Now, yes, yes, like the Brazilian national soccer team, they outscore their problems a lot, so they might be fine mm-hmm. giving up four goals against because they're going to score six, and that was fine. The big thing came down in the playoffs because the Stars won the Western Conference that year, and you could see them building. They had some young players in, but mostly pretty veteran guys, a lot of speed with Alex Hemsky and Patrick Sharp and Jason Spezza, and although as Spezza said, he's never really been considered a speed, but they... And, Sean, you and I have talked about this at length. They really struggled with that kind of an aggressive offense because their goaltending wasn't good enough and consistent enough. And also, let's face it, to be able to handle giving up three or four goals a game and still coming up with that big save. And the other thing, too, about Lindy, too, we have to remember is how aggressive he has his defenseman play. The Stars systematically when the, 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 the first defender into the play was like a fourth forward. That's what he was. It was, hey, we're going to, we're going to swarm. We're going to outnumber you down low. We and are Lindy going to, we're going to, to score create, on the rush. He wanted to create yeah. those odd man situations yeah. because of the defenseman joining the play. Yeah, and we also, if we look at the other things and how the aggressive, Lindy likes aggressive hockey in, in many ways. One of the things that, um, Lindy is a very actionary coach versus a reactionary coach. Like so, like even to one of the simple things that you, you always look at. Proactive the, coach. Yes, proactive. Yeah. Is that funny. works. That's a word. That's that's a word. It is a word. Uh, <laughs> the uh, one of the things, just like for even just on a micro level of this, you think about how Lindy had the stars defend two on ones. When when someone's coming in on a two on one, Lindy would have the defense would instruct the defenseman to slide. Get on there basically on their stomach and slide towards the puck carrier to try to take away the pass and force the guy to shoot. However, that's very risky because if yeah, the guy, the if, the, if, the, yeah, if the puck carrier waited or was able to saucer it over you, it was an easy backdoor tap in most of the time. But it is a micro level of shows how Lindy approaches things on a very aggressive level of, hey, we're going to. Aggre- we're, go- we're going to put pressure on the puck carrier. We're going to make him think, and we're going to hope he makes a mistake. Problem is, I don't think that works in the NHL. That works in beer league. Like it works in beer league because if you slide at a guy, a guy, a guy just panics. But that's not working with the best players in the world. But it's so also, uh, it's also exactly opposite of what you should. Yeah. I mean, the the cliche on a two on one is the goalie gets the puck carrier. He's the shooter. You take the pass because it's a lot harder to stop a shot when the, you have to move laterally. Well, mm-hmm. I keep talking about the numbers that we've seen from Steve Valaket's uh, statistical analytics service that he's built in his company about crossing that center line, the difference that sort of splits the middle of the offensive zone. Anytime the puck goes side to side over that line, it increases the probability of a puck going in the net or turning into a goal. And you know that as a goalie, yeah. it's a lot easier to, to make a save when you're squared up to a shot than you are sliding from one side to the other. Except for Sean, because if you watch Sean's unorthodox style, he's better. He's like the Sundance kid. He's better when he moves. But uh, to tie this all back in and get to our next segment, uh, weird stuff happening. Lindy Ruff, who's coached with the the New York Rangers all season long as one of their assistants, will not be on the bench and coach with with the Rangers for the playoffs. And instead... Gord Murphy, Hartford uh, Wolfpack assistant coach, which is the Rangers AHL affiliate, been in it for mm-hmm. years and years and years. Yeah. He's going to join the Rangers for the playoffs because they decided 
I'm not going to keep Lindy here because he's now under contract with the New Jersey Devils, which makes sense. I was, it was interesting to me, and I don't know the whole Rangers hierarchy or the relationships or what roles they run, but it was interesting to me where you take your AHL assistant and not your AHL coach and bring him up to the bench for the NHL. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the story on how things are run. I, what if it's I don't the role, know? But right, the defensive-minded yeah. coach, he runs the defense. He's used to doing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Why not the it, head coach? It could be. I just. It's one of those things. that's just. It's a curiosity. We'll put it that way. All right, up next in the Quarcast, we are going to dive into our Dallas Stars Training Camp 2.0 preview. Segment two, and that means it's time for Sean and me to discuss training camp 2.0. Now, we have to say that, Sean, because it's the first time, probably since we, I know for sure that since we've been doing uh, hockey as a profession, that there's been a second training camp during the same season. Now, there have been times where there's been a training camp later in the year, for example, during a lockout shortened season. Um, we, I know we were both covering the Texas Stars during that year, the 2012-13 season. But this is training camp part two, and it's very different. And we talked about this before with Rick Bonus saying that this is not like the camp that starts the regular season. Yeah, this is, this is different. I mean, this is different in many ways, this whole situation is. But one of the things that just kind of off the bat that I think is worth discussing and, 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 the keeping, and, and just keeping in mind that I think Rick Bonus, everyone, everyone thinks about, oh, Rick Bonus and, and, and is a head coach and this is what he did. This will be, Rick Bonus gets a training camp to actually set the tone on things. Now, I don't think, I don't think Rick Bonus is going to change things colossally. Like, I don't think the the playoff Dallas Stars are going to look that much different than the twenty than the regular season Dallas Stars. However, however, Rick Bone has never had the opportunity where like this, where he's going to have two weeks to be able to say, "Hey, we're going to work on this," or "We want to do this," and we're going to work on this in practice and work on this factor or this facet of the game, um, where he can kind of take. Jim Montgomery's system, which is what he essentially had to use. There was really no other choice. He had to use Jim Montgomery. He had to basically use Jim Montgomery's system completely. And he could do, could apply minor tweaks here and there to now he actually has time to take that base and be like, okay, we're going to do more of this and more of that. And for him, obviously, 
the where the stars aren't going to get away from their defensive structure. That is the strength of this team. Whether you like it or not, that is the strength of this team. And I'm not talking about you liking it. I'm talking about a lot of the people who listen and reply on no, Twitter. I would rather um, them be a high-flying offensive superpower, and it's fun to watch them score a ton. But you understand that defense is the first thing with this group because that's just how they're built right now. Yeah, that's how the roster is built. And so the other, but they are going to, one of the things going into this camp is Rick Bonus has taken the time. He's had 121 days so far to to look at and and how can we be better offensively. Um, he has had meet, meetings, not daily, um, but well, it's happening daily now, but throughout the stoppage, he and the coaching staff have talked on the phone three to four times a week about what can we do here, what we can do there. It's this, it's this crazy balance for a coach because on one hand, it's not like a normal training camp where you can overcoach. You can overcoach a regular training camp. You can be like, oh, I want to try this, this, and this, and this, and this. You can't really do this for a, as a coach. The other thing Rick Bonus has talked to me about was there's that balance of we want to come in and make adjustments, but you also can't use that idle time to be like, well, I'm idle, so I have to make a change. You have to figure out what changes you need to make, what changes you don't need to make. So what could the stars look, to get to the more important point of, what can the stars look like offensively, and will they be a more dynamic offensive team because of this training camp? We, I can't answer yes or no without proof or evidence, but I think there's potential for that because I think there is, one of the things Bonus has talked a lot about is, we need to get back to being the possession team we always wanted to be but never really became and making we need to make less low risk low reward plays and what is what that what does that mean low risk low reward plays are the plays where hey i throw a puck into the corner for you to go chase uh, in the offensive zone if i throw that puck to you in the corner and you go chase it that is a low risk play nothing bad is going to happen to me Right. Like if the other team gets it in there, maybe you you forecheck and maybe, but there's also not much reward on that play. It's it's kind of you're also it, giving it, up it, possession for a 50-50 yeah. or lower yes. percentage of retrieving that puck. Yeah, and so he wants to see more of the stars holding possession, more of the stars taking that extra second to realize they have, and and and, and using a little bit more of that. Okay. It's not even creativity. I always use the word creativity because I'd like to see more creativity in the offense, but it's not even creativity. It's taking the so much, I think, right now the Stars are such trigger-happy, get the puck, move the puck, pass team, and it becomes, they've lo they lost a lot of that element, and it's funny that we talk about Lindy before because a lot of the times I saw Lindy, there was a lot of times where you saw, okay, I'm Jason, when Jason Spezza was so great, he could draw a defender. He could draw a defender and open something up. I don't need Andrew Cogliano, for example, to be Jason Spezza with his vision. But if Andrew Cogliano has two stick lengths between him and the defenseman, he doesn't need to throw it to the right corner for Blake Como. He can wait. Right. He can wait that second to try and draw the space. And, and, and so that's something where we could see. It's going to be one of those micro things that could produce. And then the other thing that he's that Rick Bonus has, has admitted, and he's just got to figure out, he has to figure out as a coaching staff how does he reward the dynamic threats like Denis Gurionov and Rope Hints with more ice time? How do you make sure that the guys that are those game breakers, because 
the stars have, when you look at the stars as game breakers, and to me, the game breaker is the, we're talking about the guys who are individual offensive at, at one time. Like, it's like Joe Pavelski is not that. Joe Pavelski is a goal scorer, but Joe Pavelski is part of a buildup play. Dennis Gurionov is a game breaker where you throw a puck off the edge, you throw a puck into the neutral zone, he could burn a guy, go down, and he has the tools to turn it into a goal out of nothing. Yes. Um, so he's like, how do we get them more playing time? How do we get them involved without also upsetting this whole balance? It's a, it's a how do with without um, getting away from being a four line team. So if you can get, I don't think we're I, I don't think it's realistic to think Gurianov and Hintz will be up to 17, 18 minutes. It's just not going to happen because I don't think that's going to be. I don't think it's realistic to see. But if you can get them consistently to 15, 16 minutes as opposed to 12, 13, uh, then you're looking at three, four more minutes a night where they can they can break a game open. And then the other thing, too, with just Denny, and I know I'm going to a bit of a tangent here, but the other thing with Denny, just as far as offensively, you just think about with his natural speed, he may be someone who benefits from this quick start of, like, I don't know if any, if, if we're talking about open, chaotic, a bit sloppy hockey, when you've got a guy like Gurionov who can fly like that, there may be some more openings early on that yes. he could exploit. And that, a guy like Rope Hints could also be in that fold too. Mm-hmm. And it, it is usage, but, you know, Bones also said that it's also shift length, that for all the times you normally hear about coaches on various teams harping up players who are on the ice for too long which upsets the rotation and messes with everything and players grumble at each other. Oh, this guy stayed out too long. Let's face it, that's that beer league 101 is staying on mm-hmm. the ice too long. But with this case, they've actually said that guys like Hint and Gurianov take too short of a shift sometimes, and that's part of why they, 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 they do quick bursts. They're off so fast because part of it may just be simply shown that they're young players want to make sure they don't take too long of a shift that they end up shortchanging themselves a little bit. Yeah, and it, and it, it's it, that's kind of a message that the players have to get as well, right? That's that's something where that kind of falls a little bit, and part of that comes from how do the coaches communicate that? But Gurionov and Hints have to know, and this falls on both Gurionov and Hints personally, and the coaching staff being better about saying, "Hey, no, take take that longer shift if you need it. That's okay. That's okay. We can do that." Okay, um, so the next thing to think about for training camp would be the defense. Yeah. And we have already discussed a couple of these avenues. One was the fact that Roman Polak is not expected to be in camp. Yes. So that would be a big surprise if he showed up um, and said, I changed my mind. So we anticipate him not being there. We also anticipate Thomas Harley being a part of things. As we've said, What are we still at 99% sure or is this a given now? I'm pretty sure it's given now. Okay. It's, so, it's, I mean, it's one of it's one it's one it's one of those things that technically can't be ratified until all these X's these these uh, the the, right. the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted on on the stuff that's getting voted on today. But it's it's to the point where it's it's in the framework that will be that is going that is being agreed upon. So last week we discussed Harley and Ty Delandria and what they yeah. could impact. So that's not what we want to do here, but. Sean, what will be interesting for us to look at when training camp opens in a few days is we all expect the top six defensemen to look like what we see with Andre Sekera playing with Jamie Alexiak, Stephen Johns with Miro Haskin, of course, Lindell and Klingberg. So to me, one of the early indicators that might be very telling is who pairs with Taylor Fadoon, who could very be 
early on be considered to be maybe that number eight or in the equation. Now, Harley's a left shot defenseman, Fadoon's a right. It would make a lot of sense if they were paired up together, but it could be one of the guys from the Texas Stars that they bring up and they have them there. And I think that might say something about where they feel these players are at. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who gets... And I, I, I'm pretty sure we're to off the bat, we'll see Joel Hanley with Taylor Fadoon. Just because I think Joel Hanley is more likely to play as that... And, and, and on top of that, I mean... What do they, what do they Joel, call him? What did Monty used to call him? The Twin Towers? <laughs> yeah. For their, um, I think their he did. massive stature? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Hanley... The other thing, too, is Hanley did get into the playoffs last year. And he would and have... He good. Hanley, Hanley would have played in Game 7 against the St. Louis last year, but he got hurt. Yep. He played very well in, in that Game 6. I mean, there's... Um, he was very much within himself, and... For a, a five-six defenseman, when called upon, that's fine. You don't need him to go out there and be Miro Haskin, and you need him to be sound in his own zone, get the puck out, minimize mistakes. Mm-hmm. And that's and Hanley did that. So I would have no problem if he was in the lineup. I wouldn't get worried or freaked out at all. Obviously, you'd like to have a guy like you know, Alexiak and Sekera have a really nice balance, and of course the size. So hopefully, one of those guys is. You know, not hurt, but Fadoon, Hanley, they can fit in that. What about uh, up, up front, or actually, before we do that, in goal, because you mentioned this in your little preview that you posted yesterday, was not so much Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. We'll be watching to see how sharp they look, but you really yeah. won't be able to tell for sure until you see some exhibition and, and return to play games. But what about the third goalie spot? Where do you? See, yeah. What are you looking for in the next few days of camp when that starts? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of those... One of those spots where the tie, it's the type of thing where we're looking at the, this is a decision of who will be the third goalie in the hub. Um, and this is a decision that, Je- I believe Jeff Reese makes this decision. This is a decision that while Jim Nill and, and, and Rick Bonus are signing off on this decision, Jeff Reese is making this decision. We know how much they trust Jeff Reese with the goaltending decisions. However, there is kind of an element of, and this is this is there is kind of an element that all of this group will have of what is the best long-term decision. If Ant, if if Landon Bow is far and away better than Jake Ottinger, it's easy. It's easy to say, okay, Landon Bow is the third string goalie. Sure. Um, is the third string goalie. He was a third string goalie the playoffs last year. And it's easy. But what if if Jake Ottinger and Landon Bow are even close to the same level? And even if Landon Bow is a little bit better, when you look at the Stars' long-term plans for Jake Ottinger and what they've labeled him as, I don't see how he is not in the bubble. Like I think this is, I think the only personally, I think the only way Landon Bow is headed to the hub and headed to the bubble is if we either have an injury, which we obviously don't want that to be the case, or if he is head so much uh, head and shoulders above Jake Ottinger and how he plays in training camp. Um, what and I don't know this? if there's enough... Side yeah. thought. We've, we, you and I talked off-air about the numbers, right? 31 mm-hmm. potential players, 51 yep. or 52, depending on if you bring a team physician or not. So really, that's, let's say 51, because you either bring a doctor or you don't. You don't get an extra spot for it. Those numbers for the staff fill up awfully fast. What would you think of a debate between an extra assistant general manager or 
a fourth goalie or uh, another defenseman or, or well, you're, forward. You're, 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 you can't do that. Your players are maxed right, out. You have 30, so you have 31. But, I mean, there's other, one, other issues in that group, right? You can't mm-hmm. have more than 30. And what I'm saying is you can't do that. But you can because let's say you only carry 30 into the bubble instead of 31 players. That opens oh, up okay, another yeah. spot for staff. That's what I'm saying. So my oh, point okay. is, would you decide if you have, let's say you have 30 and you have that extra spot, do you decide to bring the fourth goalie available in the 31? I mean, it depends on numbers of how many skaters you want to bring. Would that be worth it over, say, one of one of your support staff that you feel is really crucial? And I wonder, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you do. But, you know, I would think that having that fourth goalie for the odd practice day or the black ace group that you take to the bubble would be really important to have if you wanted. Well, I mean, you know, let's say Bishop's your starter. Anton Hudobin wants to get plenty of action as the backup because he's not playing in the games, and let, but he has to be ready. But I just wonder if it might be worth – you still have to like, – like we were just talking about, you need to have a decision of who's number three, but <laughs> it still might not be a terrible idea to have number four. What I'm saying I don't know is what happens if you have a knock on wood, a goalie injury during the, the bubble? Are you allowed to bring another one into the bubble safely or not? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think you're allowed to. So I think on the element of, hey, there's an injury we want to bring. Um, I, I, I still... Maybe three goalies is enough. I think three goalies is enough because um, I, I, think th- I think three goalies is enough. And I think it's one of those questions, this fascinating question. I may bring this up to Jim Nil. I would imagine if you had the type of goalie injury that, that took a guy out for the playoffs... I would imagine that is the type of injury where you would be allowed to bring someone in and you'd be allowed to bring someone into the bubble. You'd have to have them quarantine and right. test and everything, but you'd be allowed to bring someone in. So, I, but Like I said, we're not sure on that. So that would be, it, it could be fascinating. I think just from our training camp preview, one of the d- talking points that we'll have going forward before they head to the bubble in Edmonton is counting the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is a very limited number and, and so, yeah, okay, let's say you use 31. However you pick, the other 20 spots for your staff fill up really fast, right? Yeah. Coaching staff, they have seven of them. That fills up quick. You're going to want some hockey operations guys. You're going to have your PR guy, your trainers, your equipment guys. The mm-hmm. more the, the those guys you want to bring, the less you're going to have available for something else. I, I, I had a thought, and this is something that the, like, so they said each team brings a team doctor if they can and everything. I had a thought on something on this that I was wondering, just as far as you talk about the number of people and everything like that, tell me if I'm wrong on this. And this is not from a Stars playing, this is from an NHL standpoint. Wouldn't it make more sense for the NHL to hire three doctors, just hypothetically, like, wouldn't it make more sense? Like, obviously you want your guy and you've got, but yeah. like, like, wouldn't it make more from just like not forcing the teams to really take it upon themselves? Well, to, no, they're not like, forcing. Cause it's not like you lose a spot in the bubble. You get no, the but choice, no, but you're right. I understand but, what you're saying. I think the real, I think there's probably enough demand for teams to want their team doctor who's with them. Yeah. But yes, I, I think there will be medical staff on hand to help Mm -hmm. with the whole pandemic. But I think each team is going to want their guy or their woman. I don't know if, you know, I'm not trying to say make this a a gender-related issue. 
I believe that each team will want their doctor because it's the one that they've had all year long in consistency and they evaluating with injuries because ordinarily, Sean, and this is another one of those weird things, if somebody gets hurt during the course of play, they can go get evaluated by their doctor to determine course of action, whether they need some sort of procedure, rehab, etc. In this case, if you don't bring your doctor with you, you can't, right? You can't, you yeah. can't leave the bubble. So the other the, the thing that's going to be fascinating to me is, um, and this is something that I, I've thought more about. Just kind of, um, I've I've thought more about this after working with doing the Stephen John's story. Um, right. What's going to happen? How how are we going to handle the specialists? How how like how is this all going to be handled? Of like so, if if somebody gets, if I have if I have a player who, because I, I I thought about all the specialized doctors Stephen saw during all of his time and everything like that, and there's some there's some guys people that he stills deal with, and you can he can probably work with a therapist still over phone and stuff like that. But what about another? What if if somebody hurts a shoulder? Is there going to be a shoulder specialist in the bubble? Like, like for example, like in a Probably typical play, like in a typical playoff year, just hypothetical. I'll use Roman Polak since he's not going to be there, so I'm not going to put any bad juju on anyone. Roman Polak goes into the boards, hurts his shoulder. Typical playoff year, you send him to a shoulder specialist, and they say, "Hey, you should do this or not play, or or, or do this or that or whatever." Um, are, is there going to be a shoulder specialist in the bubble? Like that, like that's the type of things that are just kind of these interesting medical things where I don't know what it's going to look like. Or are you going to have the type of you can say, hey, we're going to have these type of people that are sort of in the bubble that that are like there's I'm sure there's a shoulder specialist in Edmonton who right who could be who could be like okay. He's on he's on retainer where he's not going to live in the bubble, but he'll go through the testing and he can come into the bubble to see you. I don't know. Well, you saw, yeah. and that's something that we uh, will touch on more later. But we saw the the rules of the secure yeah. zones and some of the groups. I mean, they have different groups of people. Uh, you know, was it groups one, two, three, four? I think it is of where interactions between certain number uh you know groups are not allowed to try to keep the the bubble as, as secure and as tight as they can yes i do believe there will be medical personnel that they have and they may have some specialists but i guess it depends on the severity of the injury if somebody gets hurt enough like mm-hmm. if it's if it looks bad then they're probably leaving the bubble period yes and in that regard whether they get surgery or a long rehab won't really affect staying in the bubble because they're not going to play. Mm-hmm. The question may be having somebody look at something or getting an MRI to determine whether it's worth playing on or not that might be more of an issue. Um, finally, Sean, before we finish off our training camp stuff, uh, anything that you want to add about uh, the forward group or what you expect? or you know, I would imagine, you know, we haven't seen the final roster, I would imagine there will be more than 31 players, or if not, that's it. If it's, this is a training camp and we're all going. Yeah, I mean, as, so as of right now, from my gathering of guys, I can kind of take you through my gathering of guys that are there in phase two. It's it's not a, like a, it's a hard list to completely compile because new guys show up every day and, we, and we're not there to watch. But like for example, I know um, there is a group one. There's three groups that were skating earlier this week as part of phase two. There's group one that was the group of. Tyler Sagan, Ben Bishop, Jamie Ben, Corey Perry, Blake Como, Jamie Alexiak. Um, 
the Joe Pavelski is expected to be in that was in that group now. Um, who else was in that group? There was. Um, not sure. I th I'm not sure. Else so there's that group. There's a second group that consisted of. Um, there was names like Jason Dickinson, Taylor Fadoon, Justin Dowling, Stephen Johns, the four Finns. All four, all four Finns. So I was told there were all four Finns were there. So we know Joel Kiviranta is yep. probably here. Um, if people were, I haven't spoken to Kiviranta, but as well, you would anticipate that he would be yeah, part of that extra yeah. group. Uh, Kiviranta, Landon Bow was with that group, uh, and then the third group is they've kind of already started making the third group more of a black ace group, and that group has. Uh, Jason Robertson, Ty Delandria, Thomas Harley. Um, we've seen uh, that's the group Jake Ottinger has been skating with. That's what Joel Esperance is going to be. Um, the the one the one name that's interesting that I just haven't and I just haven't reached out to him yet, and I'm just interested to see if he's on the list um, is uh, Gavin Bayruther because he's he's kind of that weird where he's kind of in that weird area where when we we say if 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 uh, if if uh, not Taylor if Joel Hanley is our eighth defenseman for this this hypothetical situation, Gavin Bayruther is a guy who did not play in the NHL this year but acquitted himself well last season, and obviously played well enough under uh, under Rick Bonus last year to, in those opportunities he had. Is he someone who is going to be, be in, in the, the bubble or not? You think he's he's and so I don't know, um, but yeah, I think we're going to see. I, I would imagine we're probably going to see thirty to thirty-four. I don't think there'll be many cuts. I don't think I don't I don't I don't think there'll be a lot of cuts. But I think it'll be like the, they'll have a larger group. But I don't think it'll be the t to uh, the length, the size of a group where there'll be more. You'll have three sessions. I think it's going to be okay. We'll have two groups skating, pair it down to one eventually before we head out. So. All right, so that's a little sort of precursor to training camp, which is expected to start July 13th, pending the ratification slash approval of the NHLPA's full body, um, which we could hear as early as today, right, Sean? Yeah, we could hear it as, as today. I mean, it's one of those things I think they're voting to hold me to this. I think they have until 4 p.m. our time to vote today. Okay. Um, 4 p.m. my time. I was going to say. 5 p.m. your time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll find out this afternoon, perhaps, um, if that all goes through as we expect it to because it's a simple majority. And that leads us to what they're voting on. The other part is up next. We're going to discuss a little bit more of the details of things of the collective bargaining agreement extension expected to be approved maybe as early as this afternoon here on the Quarkcast. <laughs>
time for us for to get to section three, which in this segment will be the CBA extension, which Sean means that we're going to have almost a decade's worth of NHL labor peace, which let's face it, not to sound like a pessimist because you and I are both general optimists is not something you would expect based on recent history in the NHL. No, I, w- I was definitely not uh, expecting to see the CBA extended. Um, I just, it's one of those things where we are so, maybe we've all become pessimists on this because of past history where we've had lockouts and we've had, we, we've had lockouts and everything like that. And we've had labor, um, labor battles. And so th- to see something, to see the two sides agree and extend this CBA by four years pending final voting agreement today, to see this happen, that's that's wonderful news for both the sport, it's wonderful news for us as people who work in this industry, and it, it's just wonderful news to, to kind of signal that maybe labor-induced uh, Stanley Cupless years are truly a thing of the past. <laughs> Let's hope, right? Let's hope. Uh, I wonder if... I, I, see, I, I don't think the pandemic made all the impact here because it seemed like they were starting to have these conversations before that. And it, they I, were, no, I mean, that's, and that's, and that's building yeah. before the calendar year turned into 2020. And I think that's something that is very important to, to see, to realize is that maybe for the first time in, in several decades, there was a concerted effort from both sides to be peaceful from the labor mm-hmm. standpoint, especially because, look, in the NHL, in the league side of things, there's a real onus on them or at least a, a willingness to, to be nego- to negotiate because of the fact that they have a new team coming in in Seattle and they want peace for that. Yeah, and, and it's it, it very much. I I think the pandemic part just greased the wheels. Sure. Like I I just I just think it's the type of thing where. I wouldn't have been, honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised from what I've been told and just kind of talking to Stars NHLPA player up, Jason Dickinson. It's the type of thing. I would not have been surprised if this was a normal year, um, that if this would have been extended in the offseason anyway. But Neither would I. But the fact that they had, were having all these conversations about to return to play, everyone was on. It just kind of greased the wheels on all of this. I was talking to Jason about what this was like, and he says, there's so many times we would have things that would bounce around of like, hey, we talk about this on the return to play, and then they would get to the CPA and we'd bounce back and forth. It's like a ton of stuff, and it just made sense. It's like, okay, this is clearly something where we both want to find labor peace. We both want, we're both probably a little gun shy about what's happening right now with the world where we're not playing, where let's not shoot ourselves in the foot in the future. Let's let's figure something out. Let's 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 work together. And there's and the other thing, too, I mean, it's the CBA extension. There's, there's obviously, there's some things that are, there's a lot of things discussed. There's a lot of things here that are just. You could do hours of talk on this. You, you could do hours of, but there's also, I mean, this really came down, this really comes down to two things. The two biggest things this comes down to CBA extension is it's money. Everything comes back to money and the Olympics. And um, I think one thing we need to just lay out real quick um, just, I, I just want to lay out real quick is that uh, we should explain what escrow is in a real quick <laughs> layman's terms because I think it's one of those terms we use all the time and I don't people don't really understand what escrow is and escrow is such a big thing and 
so escrow, if 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 I may, Please. escrow escrow how stars how NHL players' contracts work. They are guaranteed contracts, and the salary cap and and their contracts are basically projected based on expected hockey-related revenue. Because that that the that team the le- the owners and the players split it 50-50. Correct. And so the players agreed to split. But when hockey-related revenue, when, when 50% of hockey-related revenue doesn't cover the players' salaries, Correct. the players then essentially owe a debt to the owners. And that is where escrow comes into play, where, for example, this year 19.8% of NHL player contracts went into escrow to pay back the owners for a debt they essentially owed the owners because the hockey-related revenue... Um, was not as high as as projected and expected. So, what it really turns a what 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 really happens is it turns a two million dollar contract in hypothetical two million dollar contract. Well, two million dollar contract with twenty percent escrow is really a one point six million dollar contract, and essentially that's that's what it is. And so, the players they're still on a the, the players are still on a. They're, they're still a 50-50 hockey-related revenue spit, but the players want a cap on escrow. They, want, they, they don't want the escrow to be unwieldy and to well, a point a where... Because yeah. the more money that gets taken out of each paycheck the players get, the more upset they are. Because, Correct. And look, it's anybody, right? You want, you want to see the money that you, you earn or that you're supposedly signing for in your hand because they're already losing a bunch of money for taxes wherever they live, right? Mm-hmm. And so... You see this other amount getting taken out, and you go, well, that should be mine, of course. Nobody likes to see more of their money not coming to them. Yeah. No, it, so it's, there is a... So the players want a cap on escrow. The, the players want a cap on escrow. The owners want less of a cap on escrow. And then the other big thing, and this is one of those things where this is... There's, this is a really good argument that was brought up to me that I hadn't really thought about as much in the past, um, is... Um, on the Olympics. The Olympics is the other big thing. Hey, the players want to go to the Olympics. It is not as a universal thought that we should go to the Olympics as I thought in the past. Um, one of the things that I had always, because I always think, oh, blanket, it's it's easy, it's easy, it's easily to be, it's easy to sit to blanket and say, oh, well, all the players want to go to the Olympics. In theory, yes, everyone wants to go to the Olympics. Well, Jason Dickinson, your interview with him was a great example of this. Yes, and Jason and I were talking about how, and Jason is someone who is pro-Olympics because, as he said, I'm never going to make Team Canada, but I've had that dream, and so we should, and we should, so we should continue to support that dream. However, we are by by saying by 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 stopping the season for two weeks or three weeks for the Olympics, you're making a change for the. Uh, you're making a change for the top 5% of the league. That's all it is. The rest of the league, it is there. while, yes, they're getting a break, they are also now, they are, they are getting a more condensed schedule, more back-to-backs. They are getting, they're getting a structure that is more physically taxing on them while, while, they, don't get to represent, while they don't get to represent their country. Right. And so it's an argument I'd always kind of forgot and glossed over until Dickinson brought it up to me where he said, like, I'm someone who's pro-Olympics, but I've had conversations with players who are similar points to me who they know they're going to never make Team Canada. And they're like, why do we have to, why do we have to make this such a big thing 
Um, why do we have to make this such a big thing? Why do we have to fight for this when it's really fighting for 20, 20, only 25 Canadians right. just use for of, the Canadian. I mean, the, yeah. A lot of it is because you have a lot of European players mm -hmm. that come to the United States to play or in Canada, in the, they come to the NHL, and most of those guys have a shot at their, their Olympic team, right? Because yeah. there are so many more Canadian players you know, oh, in yeah. the system, that's why a, a vast majority of players that are Canadian won't play for the Olympic team, whereas smaller countries that, have, 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 like I said, a large number of their best players are NHLers. And Andre so, Sekera, like right. for example, Andre Sekera, for example, Andre Sekera, who is a third pairing six-seven NHL defenseman. He would be if he was Canadian. He would never even be close to the Canadian. Not now, maybe ten years ago. Maybe, but but like right. even 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 then, like he is one of the best six Slovak defensemen in the world. Right. If the Slovaks win, the Slovaks are in the qualifying tournament for the Olympics. If the Slovaks qualify for the Olympics, Andrei Sekera may be a second pairing defenseman for Slovakia. So, so you have that. Uh, obviously, the other aspect is Sean is not so much the direct; it's the indirect, and it's what everybody that it's a fan of hockey wants. They want to see the best players in the world playing the Olympics because it makes the tournament. For example, in, in uh, South Korea, it was okay. It was fun to watch. Yeah. The women's tournament was more compelling because it was the best women in the world. And of course, USA, Canada, and they had a, a wonderful gold medal game. And it was great. I still enjoyed watching the Olympic men's tournament, but it wasn't the same because the best players in the world weren't there. And for the sake of the sport, and this is where all those guys that you just mentioned about who weren't, probably don't have a shot at making their Olympic teams yeah. need to realize, and maybe they do, that it's for the best interest for the sport of hockey because just like a great World Cup soccer tournament gets everybody around the globe excited to then go watch the, their, you know, or discover players that they don't otherwise know about and say, oh, hey, I, I, you, this country had a great tournament. I love this player. I'm going to go watch him play for his club team wherever it is, England, Italy, U, yeah. MLS. Hockey's tournament in the Olympics, gets it's so compelling, it will get people that are Olympic fans or just natural or casual sports fans more into the sport of hockey. It's good for the game, and it needs to be done. Yeah, the other thing that the NHL needs, and it's one of those things where this is this is once once the NH this is an argument the NH this is a battle the NHL has to have with the IOC. The NHL doesn't have the rights to use the Crosby's Golden Goal, for example, from two thousand fourteen. Right. Like that's like they don't have the NHL and the IOC need to be a more uh, have a better relationship as far as how things can be used because. Right now, and, and, and I, I actually don't blame Gary Bettman for this point. I remember he made this point like a year ago about the – it's like we, we want to use our players to sell the game and everything like that, but we're not allowed to show a highlight of Sydney. An NHL broadcast is not allowed to show a highlight of Sydney Crosby scoring the because Golden Goal. they don't own that broadcast right. Yeah. Yes. So why can we – if we're giving our players to use that, we should at least be allowed to use it in promotion for both of us, and they're not allowed to. So it's – but, but I know I, th I think that's definitely fair. Like, fair. like so, so let's do a couple of quick hitters because there's so much and we won't be able to do yeah, it yeah. all. Obviously, the Olympics yeah. are a big thing. Um, the cap is going to be relatively flat for the next couple of seasons. I say relatively, it will be flat for next year, and mm -hmm. then 
There's a chance it, it might go up a little bit, but it's it's not going to grow the way uh, we thought it was until yeah. revenues start to recover, and that may take some time. And do, I think it's, do it's you good. Think there are certain teams that are really going to be in trouble because they anticipated an 84, 85 million dollar salary cap, and it's going to stay at 81.5. Um, I think it is a good a team like Dallas. I think is actually not as badly hurt by the by the flat cap as they could have been because Dallas did Dallas wasn't a team that was going to position itself to be a big free agent spender this season or next season. They they've done most of that. They've already signed Pavelski. They signed Sagan big. Right. They signed they've they were at the point where it was way more of okay the 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 pressing business is how are we going to get these RFAs and younger players signed and. While the flat cap is going to create some discussions and some difficulty things, um, all it really does is, and, and this is, I answered this question in my mailbag. Somebody asked me, says, oh, how does this pandemic hurt the stars with, with Tom Gillardi's business taking a hit and everything like that? I think the, with the entire, um, with, with all of the, with, with the entire hockey world in a slog, it's not like, I think it's kind of one of those like rising tide rises all boats. This is the opposite, where it's a sinking tide is going to kind of keep everything kind of all even. So like a guy like Matthias Janmark, for example, it's going to suck to be a free agent the next two summers. I just, I just think it's going to suck. Like it's going to be like if the, if, the, if the cap had kept going up, guys would have been able to get more money. They would have been like that. It's just one of those things where it's easy to say, oh, well, the stars won't be able to afford Matthias Janmark anymore because the cap's staying flat. But on the flip side, what other teams can pay Matias Yanmark is also lower too. Right. So I think it's it's gonna it's it's a is that the right word for trickle down economics in hockey? I don't know, but maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> like, one of the one of the, the there's a ton of rules. I'm gonna throw out a few that yeah. I like. You feel free to do the same. I think I like the getting rid of the over 35 rule, which means yeah. that you know they, they couldn't sign long term deals without possible cap recapture retirement penalties. I think that that was leading towards teams being more hesitant to sign players of advanced age, and I don't think that should be the case. I think that players over 35, if they're still going, they shouldn't. Teams shouldn't be discouraged because of the way that the salary cap rules are. Uh, and, and of course, obviously, yes, the, the part of that was because they didn't want to sign an over 35 guy to a 10-year deal. But we don't have those anymore, so I think yeah. I think that's good. Um, again. Sean, is there a concern of an older guy signs a massive deal for a long time, but then retires two years later and the team gets away from it scot-free? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of those things where I think you start to create a bit of a loophole where if you, it's harder to do it now, but I, I, I think you have created a little bit of that loophole to sign a guy, to sign a 35-year-old guy to a six-year deal when you really only plan on him playing three. and it, and it lowers the cap hit. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a little bit of room for that. Um, the other thing, the other big thing for me that I think this is and this is going to help Dallas is um, performance bonuses from this year can be split over the next two seasons. And do you think that'll happen? Um, I think it's something where the star it is a weapon the stars can use right. if they need it, uh, because it's going to be it's going to it's going to depend on. If the Stars win the Stanley Cup, let's just say so, okay? If the Stars win the Stanley Cup and there is that extra bonuses for Corey Perry and Andre Sekera, 
Um, and hypothetically, Miro Heishkinen wins the, the Khan Smythe, because that's another bonus for Miro. Uh, if that happens, I think it will, you will definitely see it split over the next two seasons. If the stars end up advancing to the second round or third round, and that's it, um, I think it's a like, like more likely chance that you don't see it split. But I think it's a weapon that Jim Nil now has in his pocket that he can use um, that he can use to better navigate the cap over the next two years. So, look, a lot of things that we won't touch on in detail yeah. are things like the minimum player salary for entry levels is going to go up a little bit, plus the bonuses for them will go a little higher uh, year to year. The minimum salary league-wide is going to slowly incrementally increase over the next five seasons. But to me, Sean, one of the ones that really stands out that I think we should talk briefly about is the fact that they yep. are getting rid of the free agent interview period, which is that window of about a week before July 1st, where teams that are allowed to reach out and discuss co possible deals with uh, pending UFAs and RFAs, in, even for that matter, um, that's been eliminated. So now you can't really have a conversation legally with a team uh, that unless you own that player's rights until noon Eastern time on July 1st. Yeah, it's going to change the, uh, because by the old rules, you could talk to people from, what was it, June 24th to, or June 25th, yeah, whatever it was. six days before. Yeah. Um, and now, and, but you could meet with them and you could do that. You could not discuss numbers. Yes. You couldn't discuss numbers. Well, maybe clans, Technically, you couldn't points? discuss numbers. Points, bags apples, of, bags of apples. <laughs> <laughs> bags of apples. We always go back to bags of apples. Uh, I don't know how that started? My, uh, that was pretty great. Yeah, like I mean, you couldn't discuss numbers. Now, I think now you can't even have those phone calls, and it's and it's tampering. I, I I think tampering will still happen. Like I think it's inevitable. Like I think whether what how direct the line is would be great. Like whether it is one guy's agent. Whether it's an agent talking to an assistant GM and say, "Oh, hey, I got so and so on the line. Let's 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 patch him in on a group phone call." Like I don't know how they'll tamper exactly, but I think tampering will happen. Um, the thing, the thing, the thing that it will stop, and the thing that will be fascinating to see is you will lose the you will lose well you'll have some of the excitement and some of the signings will be pushed further into July. And I'll use Joe Pavelski as an example. Joe Pavelski was leaving San Jose. And he was at a spot where he, this was a very important decision for his family, very important decision for his family of what the, what the, what the place, what the city looked like, what the schools looked like, what the youth hockey looked like for his son, it's Nathan. It's a lot different when so, you have a family than it is if you're a single exactly. hockey player and, just going about your business. And so when Pavelski was looking at free agency, Pavelski, whether he talked about numbers or not with the stars, who knows? But he went to when he came when he went when he went to Dallas in Tampa Bay. Uh, it was a lot of he went and toured the local rinks in both Tampa and Dallas. He he and his wife they looked at schools. They talked to other people in the community about what's it like for an eight year old or nine year old, however old Nate was at the time, to, to grow up here. Those are all the type of things where if you have players like that, you're going to have players like that who are looking more on the family side of what a market means to me. They're going to take July first, July second, July third to kind of figure that stuff out now as opposed to June, and so it's going to push back some of the signings for some of the older players. Um, 
and it's it's also going to change how um, it's also going to change what type of players get. I think it's also going to change change the dynamic of you have to be this level. And I'm using my hands and so no one can see. You have to be this level of player to get the in-person meeting now. I think it's going to change what level of player gets the in-person meeting. I think a guy like Blake Como in the past, for example, Blake Como, when he signed with the Stars, he had the in-person meeting. He had an in-person meeting with the Stars, and he came into town and everything like that. Um, and and he did his his homework on that. In the future, I don't. And he signed on. He signed directly on July first because he figured all this stuff out the last couple days of June. In the future, I don't think a guy like Blake Como gets the the courtesy of the in-person meeting anymore because those in-person meetings you've got to save them for the big names. And so you've got to be. So you're either going to have. You're either. Gonna, it's going to be one of two effects. You're either going to have only the big names are going to get the in-person treatment or. We're gonna have July first is gonna be really slow. It's not gonna July first is gonna be it was right. Yeah, it's gonna be really I slow, think it's and gonna we're be gonna a combination see of the two because I still yeah. think Sean that players like Como are sought after enough, and yet mm -hmm. you're at a point where they care about their families, and so they're not gonna just not do that due diligence. Correct. But it'll. So. I, I do think it'll be slower. Um, yeah. The last thing about the CBA stuff was more about the, the calendar because we could get into a lot more minutiae, but we'll avoid yeah. that for now. Tentative dates that they announced in the Memorandum of Understanding was that the later of either October 9th or seven days after the Cup Final, as you mentioned, I think, what is it, October 2nd is the final, it could be yes. Game 7 yeah. of the final. Yeah. So 9th or if, so it'll be October 9th or... I mean, if they say seven days after the cup, maybe there's a chance that the last game is after the second, because um, otherwise you would. Yeah, be... so it could be like it could be. So right. like I. So let's say, let's say yeah. early October will be the opening of free agency if that happens, and if that means one week after the Stanley Cup final is played, that's really quick because usually it's a couple mm -hmm. weeks. Then you have the opening of training camps slated for potentially November seventeenth, and then the season twenty twenty one actually starts in 2020, which is December 1st. All, of course, very much subject to change. But when you see these, uh, actually the tentative schedule, Sean, I just verified October 2nd is the last possible game for the Stanley Cup final. Okay. So I don't know why they didn't just say October 9th or seven days after the Cup. That is seven days after the Cup. Well, cause it, could it could start earlier, I guess. Technically? Like, like if, 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 say, the Cup was awarded on September 30th. Right, so why not just say October like 9th regardless? Anyway, I'm, I'm belaboring a semantic point here. It doesn't matter. But when you look at these dates, you realize that this is a whirlwind. And I guess I know that the reason why you start December 1st instead of January 1st with the Winter Classic would be to shorten the need to crush the schedule next summer before mm -hmm. you have a resumption of a season 21-22 in October if you decide that yeah. that's what you're going to do. My question is, do you think having maybe Thanksgiving's not as big a deal to have Thanksgiving during training camp, but they're going to open the season three, you know, 25 days before the Christmas break that they ordinarily have. Is that a good idea two or three weeks into the season? See, I, I'm a fan of I, I'm a fan of the January 1st start date. That's what I'm thinking. Personally. Yeah. Like, pers personally, I'm a fan of the January 1st start date. I'm a fan of 
you know what let's open with let's open with the winter classic you can make it the first day of the game you Fun. can do you can make it a big you can make it a big event you play the winter classic at noon it's the first day of the game you then have uh you then have a bunch of other uh other games that evening and everything you can um and you can you can mix in like i think the nhl already plays too many preseason games you can fit in you can fit in four you can fit in three or four preseason games in the month of December. Still give the guys three days off around Christmas. Right. Uh, I, I think I, I like the January first one, and I think it's the type of deal where would it be a bit condensed to get to eighty? Would it be a bit condensed to get to eighty-two games and, and get it done and, and still and award the Stanley Cup in later June? I think you could still do it, and. I'd be okay with it. I also wouldn't be opposed to saying, "Hey, I, I and I, I'm no, I'm not the one. My money isn't on the line on this." But I wouldn't be opposed to saying, "Let's do a six, let's do a seventy game schedule just for, let's well, do a look, seventy game schedule." A, a season yeah, yeah. Where they didn't get to eighty two. Yeah. So but let's let's really do hard to avoid that. They want to do a full I, season. I, yeah, I, 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 I know they are. But I'm, why not play yeah. seventy or seventy two? And yeah. say, look, we're going to do one more year of that, and then next year, yeah, back to normal. Well, I guess the hard part is there's so many things up in the air, you're just not sure what's going to be able to happen. Correct. But what will so. happen is that we're going to hear some ACDC and have a lightning round up next. Right, here we are, the lightning round. Time for us to get to your questions and comments. Sean, we begin this week with AJ, who writes in Red, uh, was it Harmon? Uh, Harmon, yeah. Harmon's, uh, is Harmon Dayal's piece on puck moving defensemen. Curious to get your thoughts. I expected to see the boy wonder Miro on the list, but he missed the cut. Here's the article for reference. So you read this. I uh, glanced at it briefly. I uh, will admit I didn't read it uh, in full, but we had the conversation. What are your thoughts about what the article had to say and why Miro wasn't involved in it? So, to for starters, this is a very good piece by Harmon. It is actually it's a really it's a it's a really fascinating piece and a look at puck moving defensemen. The issue for me with this piece, and this is, it's, I, I will say this because I, it's, I don't think it's headlined well enough. I, I and, and it's, this is on, on Harmon. This is, this is how editors, this is on the editor there. And yes, if, if Ian is listening to this, you can yell at me next time I see you in person. Um, <laughs> but uh, to me, this was an article of the top puck moving defenseman of the past four years. That's what this was. It was total body of work top pucking puck moving defenseman of the last four years and the sample size and that's why a guy like Eric Carlson was still so high on the list because it's got Eric Carlson stats from the 16-17 season and the 17-18 season um, Miro wasn't in the league in the 17-18 season or the or the 16-17 season and 
The same reason that he had to put a second category for Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox of, hey, these are young guys that are doing well, but they don't. we don't have enough sample size. To me, Miro Heiskanen still falls under that, where there wasn't enough sample size from the data. Um, just just to be, Corey Schnazder does a, some wonderful tracking work, some really good tracking work. Um, the issue is Corey's zone entry and zone exit tracking work is really the only public facing data we have on this and it's Corey doing it by hand and he doesn't track all the games he tracks select games he picks he does he does the best he can so he had to to try and make sure you had the best sample size Harmon took a look back at numbers going back to back four years and that's that to me is why this is a piece that's worth reading. It's a piece that reminds you, hey, look how good Roman Yossi has actually been. Look at, hey, Samuel Gerrard has been really good over the last three years. Maybe we need... Charlie McAvoy's one that stood out to me. He's like, oh, hey, I didn't realize... That's something I learned from this. Is like, I didn't realize how much Charlie McAvoy was that primary puck mover in Boston. And that's mainly because we only see Boston twice a year. So that, that's mainly reason. But right. it was kind of a good example of that for me. So... This is a piece where I would be more fascinated to read the... This is a historical piece to me. A historical piece that provides some context for some other things that may have been in blind spots. Like, hey, Charlie McAvoy, I should pay more attention to him as a puck mover. On the flip side, I think it's also a piece where once we get more puck tracking and more player tracking from the NHL, I would love to see this piece, type of piece live then of let's take just this season and look at it. Let's take... Right. Who is the Let's best isolate this year? Who, who Who's the best this year? Right. And and so it, it is a piece definitely worth reading. But um, and I think Harmon did some really good work. But I don't think um, I I don't think Miro not being included as an indictment. And I don't think and I don't think many of those names that are on the list there. When if you if you were to look at this story of who are the best puck movers two years from now when we have more data publicly available from every game where it's more than just Corey having to track everything by himself, I think then we'll be at a spot where it'll be, okay, here's a more accurate list because of the data. The and that's not... Of, of player tracking yeah. will change yeah. a lot of those details, won't it? Correct. Crawdaddy writes in, Sean's answer to my banner question last week really intrigued me, so I have a follow-up question. What are some other notable items in the Stars archive? Is Brett Hull's goal puck in there? Inquiring minds want to know. I have been in there a couple of times for you know minor reasons. Um, usually it's to help get something from a Dallas Stars Foundation event that I can hand out to some people uh, if they have an overflow of something. But uh, I have seen a few things in there, but nothing that I can specifically reference. They have a bunch of old sticks and uniforms, a lot of old jerseys. I don't know, Sean, what all is in that archive. So I'd be very curious to know, uh, to see some of the, the gold items in there, but I don't know. That'd be a great story. I'd love to get a tour of that. Like once, like once, like that would be a one, like that's, that's a story. Hey, you know what? That, that's a story idea go, that I'm going to. You just gave Sean an idea for a new put, article. Put on my, I, I'm, I need to see if I can reach out on that because that would be fascinating to, to go and, and see what's in, in, in the archives and everything like that. Um, like for example, just on like Brett Hull's goal puck, I believe is at the Hockey Hall of Fame, though. I believe so, right? Like, I, I, I believe it is. Winning not, puck. Yeah, but like so. for example, um, there are, one of my favorite here. One one of my favorite uh, Hockey Hall of Fame stories is uh, 
Have I ever told you that, or maybe you were there with me, have you ever heard the story about Craig Ludwig's shin, uh, shin, shin, uh, shin guards? Mm -mm. So the Hockey Hall of Fame... Eluded my memory. So Craig, the Hockey Hall of Fame asked for Craig Ludwig's shin guards after he retired. He wore the same big, massive shin guards for his entire career. He asked for them, and in classic Craig Ludwig response, he said, well, you can have them when you induct me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great so, line. So Craig still has them, but <laughs> it's... I love it. Uh, Galapagos. But, um, oh, hold on. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, let's just move on to Galapagos. He said, staying yeah. with the animation theme on the Quarkast, uh, I would like to point out the animation theme on the lightning round of the Quarkast. Are, are y'all's fans of Studio Ghibli? John Lasseter is a huge fan, uh, and those films have made a tremendous influence on Pixar. If you haven't seen any of their films, they're also available all of them on HBO Max. I'll admit, Sean, I have not seen a lick of this. No, I haven't either. And just to be, I don't really, we've talked about how kind of with, with kids, I don't really have to, with kids, we don't really have the time. And you know what? I'm looking at the screen grabs here. So maybe these are the type of things that maybe pop up onto my radar at some point. Cause it looks like, I, I don't, I don't know if these are, the type of animation that are good for kids or not. I don't know anything about it. So I don't, I'm going to have to, I know nothing about it. So it's very difficult in that regard, isn't it? Um, yes. Court writes in, hello, Quarkast. Hello, Court. Any talk about the possibility that playing careers could be ended by COVID-19's physical damage? I guess you're presuming getting the coronavirus. Yeah. I suppose, and she, she goes on to write, I suppose it's no different than any other devastating injury. So how long do you think before they shut the whole thing down for too many infected players? First of all, Court, thank you once again for your eternal optimism. It uh, is refreshing to hear, as always. Uh, I don't believe that this is going to get shut down. In fact, Sean, I think we've seen quite readily that uh, done, right, done correctly and properly you know, encased in, in a bubble, leagues can flourish. The EPL has done well. The German Bundesliga has. And I have confidence. Now, of course, unfortunately, Major League Soccer has not had a great uh, start to their MLS's back tournament with FC Dallas and Nashville SC, one of the expansion teams, being asked to or forcibly withdrawn from the tournament, which is, of course, very sad for me because I was really looking forward to seeing FC Dallas compete. But also some problems with Major League Baseball players testing, and, of course, NBA is concerned. We'll see how this all yeah. goes. There's a lot going on in this country. You brought this up in the mailbag, and I think it's a very good point. The fact that the NHL is doing this in Canada is a really good thing for the prospect of getting yeah. this done and completed. Yeah, I mean, of the of the four... Of the, of the five North American sports, so I guess the four planes, since the NFL, I, w I won't talk about. So of the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, MLS... I have the most confidence that the NHL awards a champion. I have the most confidence in I that. Uh, I, I, I still think, and, be, and, and part of the, a big part of that goes to where it's being held in Canada. I think you are going to a country that has taken this more seriously, that, has, that, that is going to lock things down, and they are at a point where if somebody gets it, if one person gets it, I think they're you're, they're going to move swiftly. They're going to quarantine them. They're going to. Uh, I I think because of that, I think the NHL is going. I I think we are going to see a Stanley Cup champion. I feel rather confident in that. I don't know. Like I look at, 
The MLS one, to me, I think we're going to have a winner, but I wouldn't be surprised if another team gets pulled out, but that's just me being a pessimist on how the things have been handled so far. It right. just feels like they've botched a bunch of things. The NBA, uh, the NBA, I don't really know how to judge how the NBA bubble is going to work. The baseball, the baseball season to me is, the baseball season to me is so full of risk. That's the other issue. Like you look at the baseball one where there's just so much risk. Where we're we're talking about teams traveling and we're talking about going from city to city and we're talking about moving a having two minor league teams in Nashville playing where you could call guys up from and therefore you'd have one guy come in to a new bubble like. The NHL to me is a bubble. Baseball is not a bubble. No. Um, and so I, 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 I'm pretty confident that the NHL will play and they will finish this thing. Um, I can't say the same for baseball. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough on how the NBA bubble is looking right now because we haven't had as many. There haven't been as many, like, po- I haven't seen as many positive tests currently for the NBA. Like, obviously, we heard, like, Rudy Gobert and a bunch of other ones before, but it seems like a lot of the people who have tested positive on the NBA side recently have already, they've been said, like, okay, we're not even bringing that person into the bubble. Like, I'm forgetting who, but someone on the Brooklyn Nets um, isn't even going into the bubble because he tested Kevin positive. Durant. Wasn't he going to knock ball? Uh, no, there's some, there was a different player, but that's I can't. also part but, of his ankle recovery. It wasn't just. The, yeah. 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 But I, I, so I think, I think the NHL will play. Um, I, I think it's going to happen. I, in, I'm just being optimistic. And I understand what I, Court is saying, though, is that yeah. there are, there are concerns, and, and frankly, your colleague Scott Burnside uh, has been touching on this lately. Of we don't know yet because once, once the players' yeah. association officially votes to in favor of this, which we anticipate, we've talked about this earlier in the Quarkcast. The mandate is that players opting out must do so to the league in writing within three days of that time. So let's say they announce it later today. That means by yeah. some point on Monday, we ha- we will know how many players and who. I don't know if they'll announce it publicly or not. Will they? Mm-hmm. But but I well, mean, we'll kinda, I mean they, how many might be concerned. Well, they kind of have to because they have to announce training camp rosters. Correct. So you can do it by we'll process find it one of elimination. way or another. Um, but I, I think it's okay for players to be concerned about it because we don't know all the extents to the damage of contracting and, and dealing with coronavirus. I think most athletes probably feel that they're physically fit enough that they'll be okay. But you don't know, Sean. There are people that. That have died, lots of them, mm-hmm. in this country, who do not have any yeah. underlying medical history or problems. Um, I, I, there's a is a calculated risk that players have to make. I have one opt out issue. With the one thing that, if there's one thing baseball is doing that the NHL should take, is baseball guys can opt out at any time. I don't like. I think life and family situations change. Sure. Like I, I don't, I don't like the concept of that. Hey, anyone can opt out and they won't be punished, but they have to do it three days after the CBA sign. I think if someone has a reason to opt out on July on on July 29th, there should be that should like to well, me that's the August one issue. 5th. Exactly. No. So that's to me that is the right. one that that's the one thing that I think the NHL and I wonder if and maybe it's. Maybe they can opt out at that point, and it's just, hey, let's let's have a deadline for a more set deadline so teams can prepare rosters before they go in. But like, um, I I think that there should be like in baseball, you've got Mike Trout who is still making the decision on whether he wants to play this year or not because his wife is pregnant. Um, he's having the taking the time to make that decision. 
I think that players should be allowed to have the time to make that decision. Um, and I think that if a player decide who, if a player, if next week, if Blake Como, just to pick a random name out of a hat, if we get a week through into training camp and Blake Como stops and thinks like, hey, this isn't right for me. I can't be away from the family for this. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. He should be allowed to opt out at that point, or or anyone. Do you or, think it's uh, a difference because the, the chances are it, it's a maximum of five weeks if you want to bring your family in if you ex, you you reach the conference. But finals. it's not it's not a maximum of five weeks. I'm talking about once it's more get, than that. Once they get into the bubble, not I'm not talking about the training camp. Well, you're right. So okay. it's actually, it's probably more like seven to eight weeks, isn't it? Yeah, like when we 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 I, I've talked with Justin Dowling. Justin Dowling got to Dallas on July second or whatever it was. He's not going to see his. He's not going to see his. He will not see his uh, his his newborn daughter, who is who was born in March. He will not see her again at the earliest until August twenty fifth. Yes. If the almost, if Dallas lost in the it's almost if if Dallas lost in the first round, it would be the earliest would be August twenty fifth or right. something like that. Yeah. So. Um, Florian writes in, I really hate the idea, but with the cap staying flat, do the Stars have to trade Klingberg or Lindell? With Harley coming up and Miro needing a new contract, is there another solution for that? I don't think they, they need to trade either one of them, do they? I don't think they need to. I, I think the one fascinating, if, if you, you ready, you want a fun pie in the sky conversation? Sure. You want a fun pie in, the, pie in the sky conversation here that will undoubtedly get people angry at me? You I ready? would love to, make, to have you do that. Go for it. Here is the Trey John Klingberg situation, okay? I have figured it out. <laughs> and there's so many moving parts that this is not going to happen. But here is the Trey John Klingberg situation. It's 2022. You're go it's 2021. You're going into the expansion draft. You trade John Klingberg to Seattle with the caveat they take Jamie Benn in the expansion draft. Who is willing to waive his no move clause? Who is willing to waive his no move clause? And therefore, you have just freed up fourteen million dollars in cap space in one move. And I am now. I know. I am people. I am already ready for angry tweets about it. But if if there is a trade, John Klingberg situation, it is part of the Jamie Ben exit plan, which is not going to happen. But that is how it is. <laughs> Oh dear! I am ready for. To, I don't even want to get into that end of the pool. But I am ready for the angry tweets about that. But just it—it it is the if you are looking at how would they trade John Klingberg? Okay, hey, well, Seattle. Jamie actually wants to go to Seattle. He doesn't. He wants to stay in Dallas. But if he did and wanted to maybe waive his no move clause, we can you take this nine point five million dollar cap hit off us and give us this room to go get somebody else or something like that? That's the situation. Um, now I look forward to the angry tweets. We may not post this podcast episode. Oh. At Sean Shapiro, folks. At Sean Shapiro. Ardell writes in, what details do we know about the new CBA? Well, we did a whole segment on some of that. But his other yeah. part of his oh, yeah. question I do think we should touch about, he says, with NHL players in the Olympics, how will Team USA fare? I think the answer is Team USA is where it's been with the chance that it could be even better because we've seen more young players come to – a different level, right? For example, USA has in the past always had plenty of NHL talent with their in national mm -hmm. team and exciting, but not as many of the superstars in comparison to Canada, right? But now with the likes of players 
like Seth Jones and Austin Matthews and Connor Hellebuck. I think, Sean, that the growth of USA Hockey could be really exciting, and I would love to see what they could do. That's why the Korean Olympics yeah. uh, in 2018, not having those guys available was really disappointing because it would have been fun to see them play together. And 2018, you're still getting peak Patrick Kane, who's one of the greatest American hockey players of all time. And Patrick Kane will probably still be around and wanting to play, and he should be on the Olympic team if he's, at, yeah. if he's there in 2022 for the, the Beijing Olympics. But, boy, 2018 would have been one of his best, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I personally, as an American and wanting the U.S. team to do well, to me the biggest issue of how well does the Team USA fare is how do the Americans play and who is coaching them. Because too often the United States, and we had to in the past, too often in the past the United States has played like a smaller country and we got grittier and we played with, right. hey, we're going to be more physical and we're going to slug. No, the United States has the superstars and the gun and the, and, and the firepower. Go out, go out, score teams. Go head to head. Go strength on strength. If, as long as whoever is coaching the United States team decides, okay, yeah, I have these, I have the second or third best team talent wide in the world. Let me, let me, let let that talent show. Then they'll be fine. I just, I don't want it to be like see a three third uh, lines like they did t 10, 15 years ago, or at the World Cup, like the world at the World Cup, the most recent World Cup. It was very, like they played like a small country, like they played like like. They they played like and they got they got roped into playing a similar style against Team Europe and Team Europe had to play that way. They they reached the final. Good for Team Europe, but they had to play that way because they did not have the superstar depth. The United States has that depth now of, of to be that type of team. Let, let, let's have some fun. I mean, let's have some fun. Austin Score some Matthews, goals. <laughs> Johnny Gaudreau, Jack Eichel. Do you see where we're going with this, people? Yeah. Yes. All right, Hannah. Let's have some fun. We should have some fun, damn it. Hannah yeah. writes in, if you had to make a starting lineup from the Stars roster where everyone is playing out of position, forwards as goalies, goal D is forwards, or et cetera, et cetera, goalies as skaters, who are you playing where? Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty – I mean, the only real question is – Well, first of all, you just split Anton Hudobin is playing the half wall on the power play. His one-timer is elite for a goalie. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's a really it's a really easy so it's it's easy. You just flip your forwards in D, and then basically you flip your forwards in D, and then you just switch Alexander Radulov and Anton Hudobin. That's right. But Th that, that's ben really Bishop the formula. Somewhere. Ben Bishop's got to play. He's got to be. He's six seven. If he's not your net front guy on the power play, you're doing something wrong. Or yeah, even but better, I mean, Sean, it's you play three guys on the periphery, and you put Bishop and and Alexiak in front of the net. You'll never see the puck coming. You'll never see it. You'll have 13 and, a, and a plus feet of, uh, of goalie there. Or uh, of screen. Of goalie, goalie screen, of right. of screen. That's what I yeah, do. Uh, yeah, I, I would. But if you want your starting lineup, I guess I guess the, the point was starting lineup real quick. I mean, Radulov would be my goalie. Yes. If you're, if you're, if you're talking. Uh, you'd have, I mean, Klingberg and Heishkinen would be your two wingers. Jason Dickinson probably your defenseman. Jason Dickinson is one of your he defensemen. A little bit before he has, yeah. Uh, probably put. Yeah, actually, you know what? I probably put Klingberg at right wing, Heishkinen on the left, and uh, no, I put Heishkinen at center. I put Alexiak on the left wing because he's played he a little played bit of forward, forward before. Too. Yep. He, he's played some forward before, and then who do you my put on the other right side with Dickinson? Because Dickinson will play left. 
Um, I feel like uh, uh, Blake Como would be a good steady guy back there. Or if you want a bruiser, you're going to have to go uh, maybe Foxa on his off wing. I would probably put Foxa there. Yeah. I, that's probably what I would do. He's good so. at playing down low defensively anyway. French Toast writes yeah. in, Husband and I have held out our kids, held our kids out of spring hockey and are likely abstaining from the fall DSMHL, Dallas Stars Metro Hockey League as well. Owen, you guys, question mark. Guys, thoughts on youth sports during the COVID ordeal? Um, well, here's the, the thing. Everybody, I'm going to tell you my opinion on where I stand. I don't want you guys listening to think that I'm preaching at you or telling you what you should do, but I feel very strongly about this. And my wife and I have talked about this at length. First of all, we don't do spring hockey. The, our boys play in the regular winter, the September through March phase of it. And then we do different sports. I believe very strongly in variety of athletics, different coordinations, different teammates, coaches, a break from mom and dad in the summertime. To, so you're not just constantly doing something and, and kids being kids a little bit too. But that's a side issue. As far as, the, as how this is handled, we are not going to have our boys in, in team sports for a while. Unfortunately, uh, and it hurts me because I don't, you know, my boys play soccer in the fall. They play hockey and basketball during the winter, baseball and more soccer in the spring, depending on each kid's desire. Uh, I like the idea of variety and changing it up and trying different things. And it sucks to think that they're going to have to miss it, but that's where we're at. And uh, look, anybody that argues that the mortality rate or of kids in or the fatality rate in kids with coronavirus is exceedingly low. Just remember this: it only takes one to be the, to make that risk be completely to be your kid. All it is is your kid, and it changes everything. So, plus the fact that we're spreading. My wife and I have been very careful about trying to avoid unnecessary contact with the public during the the pandemic. Sean, you and I have talked about this at length about being cautious and careful. Um, we're seeing, unfortunately, these spikes in the south particularly where people opened up and started going back to normal. It really appears way too soon now. Um, I'm not giving an I told you so speech here, but we are going to have our kids stay home for school. There, Frisco ISD, which we're a part of, is offering a virtual academy, which is similar to the e-learning that they were doing in the spring when the schools were closed after the spring break. And they, there is an option to, at least right now, we may see a change, but have do an in-person or what they call on-campus learning. We are opting out of that right now because there's too many unknowns. You don't know who's been careful and who hasn't. Kids spread things too easily. There's no way in elementary school that kids are going to be able to completely conform to wearing masks, being socially distanced. And what about the teachers? I'm very concerned about all those teachers that work so hard and do great work and are vastly underpaid for what they do being in an indoor environment with all these kids anyway. So that's a, a long way of me saying we're not going to be doing that. It sucks because my younger son, Dexter, is, was about to play his first year of team hockey. He's been doing the Hockey Academy and loving it. We haven't done it since March, but uh, you know he's probably going to have to wait a year. Leighton, my older son, has soccer in the fall that he's really into, uh, and his hockey team, he's played three years in the Dallas Stars Metro Hockey League. So, Sean, this stuff isn't fun. 
And I hate to have to make these calls, but that's what being an adult and making these tough decisions is about. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I will put it this way. Like, we have been extra careful and everything like that. And I mean, on top of that, we, I also have the issue too. I've, I've got, my, my wife is pregnant and I don't know how and, and, and what anything would affect a pregnancy or both, both her health and, and, and the health of the health of the child. Um, and on top of that, I, the other thing that I'm extremely thankful for um, is that I have a two-year-old and I don't have a seven and a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old right now. Like I am extremely thankful that I have a situation where she, yes, we're not, we're not, we're not doing as much and we didn't sign her up for a little two-year-old soccer or whatever, but it's not like she's missing out on anything that she's no. had in, in the past. And so, um, I, I am extremely thankful just for where the, how things have lined up with how the time in my life have been of I don't have to make a decision to take something away from her that has been the norm for her. I feel for you, I feel for all the parents out there who have to make a really tough decision of how are they going to handle things and what are you going to do? I know there are so many factors. Like, um, So I, I am uh, I, I'm just thankful that I don't have to make that tough decision, and I also don't feel right judging someone. I don't. I, I don't feel right judging someone else on how they make their decision because I know there are certain extenuating circumstances. Of there are some people who are able to do the virtual learning. There's some people who, just because of how parents work, I know that it's not possible to not use daycare right now and things like that. Like it's not. There are there. I don't feel. Um, as, as you said before we started this, I don't really feel like I'm an expert to tell you how to live your life on it. No. Uh, but I'm just thankful that I don't have to worry. I, I can make, I, I feel confident in the decisions I've made for my family, but I'm also thankful that I don't have to take something away from a 10 year old or an 11 year old. So it's a tough situation. It's a very difficult subject. Yeah. We're all dealing with it one way or the other. I, I'm not being overly judgy, but I do say that if you do decide, I guess my one thought is, is if do decide to to put your kids in those positions to be as careful as you can because yep. I think if anything we've seen these massive spikes going around not just Texas but all over the country is evidence that this is not just a really serious thing but it's something that we've seen that people from all age groups are are dying from let alone getting and and surviving right okay many people live after getting coronavirus but what if it's your kid what if it's you that one is, is it, that mistake would be really hard to live with, I think, if we didn't take every precaution. I kind of liken it, Sean, to, I know, and maybe this is uh, making this a bit too trivial, so I, if so, I apologize, but we always talk about when that st big, massive thunderstorm warning comes in, or there's tornado warnings or hail in the forecast in, in North Texas. If you have that decision, well, hey, they're saying hail, it could happen or not. Do I make sure my cars are in the garage? Do I make sure I batten down the hatches and get in that tornado shelter a little early? Or do I say, well, you know, I'm going to wait and see. I just, the longer I've lived in Texas, the more I realize I'd rather over prepare for a bad storm and go, oh, well, it wasn't so bad. Aren't I glad that nothing got damaged versus the, eh, we'll ride it out. We'll be fine. And then go, my car is ruined uh, maybe I put our family's health at risk because we didn't get into the, the the closet or whatever, our tornado shelter. 
And I just think this is one of those instances where an overabundance of caution probably looks good in the long run, even if it means putting out some of the normal aspects of life. So there I'm on that. Let's move on. Brian writes in, please include Ennio Morricone's La Arena this week in honor of his passing. I don't know if I'm familiar. I'll have to listen to it and see, but we'll take a listen. Uh, I loved when the Stars played it as part of the opening. Besides Puck Off, what music do you most associate with the Stars? Um, well, there's the darkness music that plays after every goal against. It's doom, um, doom and gloom. And, and that's one of those great stories. That's one of those great mysteries in life I want to solve at some point. We don't know where it came from. Interesting. Like, I've, I've asked... It's pre-Groobs. It's pre-Groobs, and it's one of those where it dates back to, before that, from my research so far, it dates back to, it was just a file that was on a computer that wasn't ever labeled properly, so they don't know the band, they don't know who played it, and it's just kind of lived on. I remember so, hearing it during our 99 Cup Run TV watching when the other teams yeah. were scoring, going, hey, that's the same song that we hear now. Yeah. Hmm. It's just called the darkness music. They don't know the title of it. They don't know who wrote it. Um, I w- I've told Groobs he needs to help. Me fi- I've told Groobs he needs to help me find what it is. So like track so, down the, the origin story of this. This is like this is like a white. This is not, I don't want to say it's a white whale because it's not going to consume me and and, 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 and and keep me awake at night. But it's like kind of a minnow in the sea of fish that I'd like to track down. Okay, so some songs I have while well, Sean continues to fight his Ahab or his Ishmael. Um, <laughs> The National Anthem, Yelling Stars, that has affected me greatly since moving to Texas, so I think that's always going to be in my head. Um, the, unfortunately, it's no longer the It's Raining Taco song. I really did enjoy that bit. Uh, they're not doing that Bring anymore. back taco goals. But Bring do, back taco goals. I do have a couple that fit me. One of them, Sean, is Groobs' playing of Enya during goal reviews and other goalie interference challenges like that that really sticks mm-hmm. with me i love it way more than just doing like the jeopardy theme just because it's unique and a little different so those yeah. stand out very quickly with me and then of course the stevie ray vaughn when the stars win after a home game yeah i mean I've, i have uh the other one that is uh that obviously associated with the stars just because it's the is why else would I have heard live is live is life? I mean that's a song that got dug out of the the archives by the team as the wind song. So like I, there's that one, and then uh, yeah that's All right. so th- that's that's really what comes to mind. Speaking of music, Jared writes in. I love the music on the Quarkcast. Thank you, Jared. We appreciate that greatly. Gentlemen, worldview question: What good is a cynic with no better plan? Why are and there's just have- a cynic. They're just a cynic then, right? Well, yeah, right. If you are a negative Nancy about all of the different things, and then, but you don't have, offer a solution, you're just bashing stuff. I, I agree. Um, I still think you can raise objections and say, hey, I don't like what's going on with something, or I don't like the way this is handling that. Correct. Yes, without uh, yes necessarily correct. necessarily having a solution to it. Um, but, it's okay to be cynical. On, it's, it's okay to be cynical on some things and not have a solution. I there think, are times where it's like, like, like for example... There are times in, in this world where I am cynical of how we are handling this or that with COVID, and I don't, but at the same time, I'm not going to say this is how we should be handling it. I'm not an epidemiologist. 
I agree with that. So, like, I think that's that's fair. Um, other questions so, that Jared added into this. Why are hirings like Jim Montgomery so rare? Lindy Ruff recycled yet again. Is this just an NHL culture thing to not hire young coaches? And I think we handled a little of this, Sean, earlier when we were saying that at one point, Lindy Ruff was the young coach that was, you know, up and coming out of the player ranks. I also think that you have to be careful about calling somebody a recycled coach. You could say, you know, hey, he's been in the NHL now as a coach, NHL head coach and an assistant for over 20 years. Just like a guy like Rick Bonus, why does he keep getting jobs? He might actually know a thing or two about how to do it. So, um, I mean, the, the other thing we have to, the other thing you have to keep in mind too is you say young coaches. Jim Montgomery's 51. Like it's Jim Montgomery's not young. He's not the like Paul he was. Maurice yes, young. he was. No, like he was. Like you say, why is like I mean. Jim Montgomery was, was not young. Um, and yes, the, the NHL does. The thing the NHL has is because NHL general managers tend to be risk averse. Yes. They tend to be, be risk averse because they want to keep their job. And so it's easier to hire someone who's proven as an NHL head coach than to, to go outside the box. Um, got, if you go outside the box and are wrong, you pay for it with your own job. And so like for an example, one of the reasons that um, Jim Montgomery, Jim, Jim Montgomery's um, departure from Dallas sadly doesn't help other college coaches. Jim, um, it doesn't help other college coaches. I don't uh, think it hurts uh, it, who, though, do you? I, I it doesn't hurt it as much as what extemporaneous circumstances. It's not like I, I, hey, he flamed out and is not a good hockey coach. Yeah, but I mean, it, it also it, it doesn't it doesn't help for yeah, lack of okay. like it's not. I don't think it impacts at all. Jim Montgomery could have been an example to say, "Hey, we should hire more college hockey coaches," and now you can't say that. You can't. He is no longer that example of, "Hey, we should hire Jim Montgomery." Um, the other, like for example, like I one of the reasons I really would like to see a guy like. Ralph Kruger have success in Buffalo is just because I think it would open the door for more European coaches in the NHL. And just guiding right them different, different avenues. Yes. 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 Um, so I, I think it's just it, it, the other thing too, and it's just it's so incestuous, but it's true. It's who who do you know? It really comes down to a lot of who do you know. I mean, uh, Tom Fitzgerald played for Lindy Ruff. I mean, so much of it is. I'm coming and I'm building an organization. So much of the NHL, whether it's family or friends or whatever, it's so much of who do you know uh, and can, how can you and get your foot in the door? And I'm not saying that, look, that, that NHL that's, GM, NHL head yeah. coach have to be able to trust each other. If there's if that that uh, if there's a divide there or they don't agree, it's it's destined to fail. And it's it's not it's not it's not a good thing that that's where we go with all the time. But that's just how NHL hiring practices have become. Right. That's what the league is. That's what a lot of sports hiring practices are. That's the reason that we see so much of. That's why the reason we see so much of a. Hey, here's so and so's kid or nephew or whatever that 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 works their way to the NHL. It very much is. And this goes back to conversations we've had about diversity in hockey and other things. This is where in hiring practices we need to be more open on things of. Hey, how. Are we not hiring just the same people over and over again? Are we not hiring someone who knows someone like? Are we hiring the best candidate? It's just that's where the NHL is right now, and it needs to be better. Um, and I'm not saying that Lindy Ruff isn't the person for the job with the, for the Devils. That's the other thing. Where if Lindy is the best candidate for the job, great. 
Now, did they go and they did, did they interview all the people they interviewed seemed to be just reci- not recycled, but to be just be <laughs> former NHL coaches. They were clear. I mean, they didn't look outside that box. Experienced NHL coaches available. So, is that mm-hmm. recycling or is it just tapping into the resources that are there? So, some of it is yeah. re, uh, retread, if you will. But those guys are there for a reason all right two more and then we'll wrap this up because this is longer than we thought it would be already yeah andrea writes in with there being no current timeline for when fans will be able to attend games what do y'all think are some fun slash creative ways realistic or not teams could still allow fans to engage with the games while also offsetting the loss in gate revenue this is a tricky one sean um if you can come up with a good one i think uh you could really help a team make some money and Keep the fans. You probably get a job. You, probably you, get a if job you, if you have that idea. Like I don't. Like have, I mean, some of the, I don't have the magic answer here. The, the key, the key was the final part of her question of offsetting the loss in gate revenue. Like I see ways that you can be like, oh hey, we can do, we can be more proactive on social media, or Did you see we can how Manchester do... City put up that giant screen behind one goal at the Etihad. Yeah, and they have all these fans zoomed in. That has to be weird for the players to look over. And seeing like all this this zoom collage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or or you could do the thing where like like uh, you could buy you you could sell the cardboard cutouts. I like where you that. Could, your cardboard. They did that over and, in and, Germany. And like the um, so you could do that, and I, I like that would be a little bit, but I don't see how much that would be that offset would have to the be, like like next season if they start with games in home arenas with no fans yeah because you can't do it in a hub because what are you going to change out thousands of cardboard cutouts every game (laughs) and i think the other thing too is i think it's more important it's more important in european soccer than it is in um than it is in north america for the cardboard cutouts because the cardboard cutouts you have way more of what you and I have talked about this off air before about the financial system of the hard economic capitalism of European soccer. You have a club as a club, as a club. So if you support, uh, if you support uh, Wolverhampton, I don't know if they sold hardware cutouts or not, no, but a lot of the EPL clubs have put yeah. the TIFOs and the big uh, yeah. tarp coverings over but, sections, instead. but a good, but a lot of the championship level teams actually have sold the cardboard cutouts, and a lot of that is because those clubs, while they may have one owner, a lot of them are such a big part of the community where the money is so important to being able to compete. Right. Where doing that, whether well, Tom Gillardi is going through a tough financial time right now. Whether you buy a cardboard cutout or not isn't going to impact whether the stars stay in their league or not. Like that's like to like I don't think there's as much of a social, as much of a economic. Our club needs our money right now, from the fan-driven thing, as, as it is in there. Um, and then, the other thing that I think the NHL needs to do, and I don't know if the teams can capitalize this, they need to take advantage of these, these kind of this this setup and be like, okay, let's find a way to put together a subscriber only feed of i want mic'd up no crowd noise i want to hear everything they're saying i want no fcc filter right. on what all is the, all the beeps and and yeah the bumps out i want to hear it that would be yes. interesting I, it? the uh, i want to hear the it raw unfiltered nhl bench 
I want to hear, so I mean, you and I have talked about this before. I want to hear the one thing I am jealous of that I've never heard, and this is a hockey experience that I don't have that my wife has. My wife has, um, my wife has sat between the benches in the AHL and as, was a photographer of the Texas Stars for two, three years. God, it'd be great, where wouldn't she, it? Where she sat between the bench and she heard everything that was said between. All I have heard stories. Between benches and yelling yes. at each other. Yes. Oh. I have heard stories about what is given, get cold, told and said between benches and gets told between players. All these things that, some very nasty, that, um, that uh, I would love to hear. And I'm I think that's something that, yeah. I want to hear it, but I want the unedited version. I don't want clipped for oh, yeah, benefit. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear what's really Correct. going on down there. All right. I want the question. raw feed. Oleg writes in, not one to complain, but, which is, of course, a great preamble to I'm going to complain, but playing Thunderstruck before the lightning round may be a little presumptuous. Having thunder doesn't coincide with lightning. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Would the Quarkast consider lightning crashes as a song of choice? Very literal. Okay, Oleg, I have some answers for you. First of all, I love the band Live. Lightning Crashes is a great one of their big hits. However... It is not a very positive song. It's a negative song. It's about a mom dying and a baby living and blah, 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 blah. So I'm not sure if I like the tone of it. Secondly, you have said way too much time on your 14-hour drive north and back to think about this because we want... Thunderstruck is upbeat. It's an arena song. The other one that comes to mind is that um, Imagine Dragon song, Lightning and Thunder, which will literally make me tear my ears out because... Well, I like Imagine Dragons. <laughs> that one is so repetitive, I want to take a pencil and stab myself in the ear. So um, I'm always up for new suggestions for music, but I think on this one, Sean, I like the positive, upbeat arena tones of Thunderstruck for the lightning round. What do you think? I like that. I, I, I think Thunderstruck works. I think it's good. <laughs> Sean is brief. I'm much more verbose, maybe in a negative way, but nonetheless... We have gone through yet another Quarkast. Sean, you want to sign off on another two-hour-plus monstrosity? Yeah, I mean, it's one where it feels even longer today because we had to take a pause in between to discuss some uh, some news. I had to take a couple of calls mid-pause to you talk actually, to... You could actually say it. It's official. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Jim, Jim Lights is now the chairman of the Dallas Stars, and Brad Alberts is now the CEO and president. So we actually had to pause in between for me to take a couple phone calls. So it's been a long time, but it was... Uh, as always, it was always, always a good chat, and it reminds me of why uh, my wife, when, when, he, when we were talking in our planning last night, she walks into the room and says, you're going to talk to him for two hours tomorrow. So, <laughs> I think my wife said the same thing because she said, how long is this planning conversation? And inevitably, it, it, it devolves into us just talking about life and us and not just talking as friends, not as yeah. uh, Quarkast colleagues. But... Uh, in yes. speaking of this, Sean, maybe a good way to end this one today is if people aren't pulling out their hair saying, just end it already, is the fact that this is my last week up in Maine. We're going to be heading back to Texas, ne leaving next Friday. It's a 2,000-mile, three-day excursion, let me tell you. Uh, it's well worth it because the weather here has been phenomenal compared to the just unbearable heat of this time of the year in Texas, as I've been hearing reports from you and others back home. So yes. nice to be here, but next Friday, I don't know if we'll pull it off in the car or not. We may have to do a car cast, a quarcast car cast, um, 
where we get a little bit of a training camp update from you because you'll be there in person, I believe, for those days while I'll be still up here in Maine and then heading back to Texas. Yeah. But maybe maybe we do that without all the bells and whistles of music and producing. Maybe we do the Quarcast CarCast next week. Maybe. It's, a, it's definitely something to consider. And if we do that, well, how do we number it if it's both? Oh, my Is God. It episode 16 <laughs> slash 104 or whatever number we're at? Fascinating question, one to ponder, as uh, one, one that Olag can ponder over 14-hour drives. <laughs> and there you have it. Maybe we'll talk to you next week. Maybe it'll be two weeks, but we will talk to you again soon. It's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. Raining tacos Raining tacos